Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Backseat Future. This is a podcast about GPT-3, multimodal AI models like Dolly 2, the company, OpenAI. In this podcast, I may talk about new OpenAI research and products. I may talk about my own research, my own products. And in this podcast, I, I definitely try to look at the world from the perspective of a developer, perhaps building on top of GPT-3, a multimodal artist using Dolly 2 or Midjourney or something like that. And I definitely try to make sense of what's going on. And every once in a while, I throw out there, guess, extrapolate on what all of this could mean for the future. Um, I am back, uh, with the podcast and everything, uh, sort of had a brief period. I took some time off, just mental health, soul searching, thinking, learning a lot, of, a lot of different things going on, but not only am I back to discuss chat GPT, uh, I've brought on a special guest today's podcast. I know it is going to be a smash hit. This is a returning guest on the podcast, a fan favorite. Uh, he's an entrepreneur. He's, you know, very outspoken. And of course, he's an official OpenAI ambassador. Uh, I want to welcome the prompt father himself, <laughs> uh, Abron Maldonado. He is here. Uh, how's it going, Abron? What's up, boss? Uh, I like that one. That one might stick. That one in, uh, the other one I go by is, uh, is Bodhi Starks, is Bodhiqua Starks, uh, the Puerto okay. Rican Tony Starks. Oh, uh, wow. What I've been known as in the streets. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, and and so it, it, you know I, I i jokingly say the prop father but also i i kind of mean it <laughs> like in terms of like i i think like you know uh probably we'll, we'll we'll get to this today in today's podcast it's just been so long like it's yeah. been like 2020 that you know abron abron i think was he was in the slack group the so back in the day when it was when gpt3 launched in 2020 uh there used to be this slack group which everybody was on who was using gpt3 abron was in that slack group even earlier and before i was <laughs> and right so so like we're approaching almost three years now and yeah. so today i want to discuss various things and i, I want to of course welcome everybody there's probably a lot of new faces out there who are, who are tuning in to the podcast on the youtube or whatever this world has existed for two to three years now, and I'm calling Abron the prompt father because he's been around <laughs> since back then. Uh, and of course, I'm sure he's he's happy to see all the new faces as well. So many people know what we're talking about now, right? Yeah. Well, now we can speak to just the the process and and get into the the nitty gritty. Where before we had to explain to people what it was. I just did a call a uh, uh, Twitter space with a great group that I mentor called Black Women in AI. And uh, the founder, Angel, she was like, look, I have to apologize. I'm like, for what? And she was like, you told me about GPT-3 like two years ago, and we, it did not register. It went right over our heads. You gave us access. We didn't do nothing with it. And now when chat GPT came out, she's like, we get it now. And she's like, and, and now we're, we're using it, and it's amazing. But she's like, we weren't ready for it back then. Uh, but now we are. So sometimes you just got to wait uh, when you're ready to, to, to jump in. Yeah, yeah. Like in hindsight, like 2020 and after, like these were the true believers, right? It was like you, me, Bram, yeah, Yash, like all these, like uh, Vlad, like all these people uh, have have just Evova, right? Like I'm thinking of all the names that have just That's been Evova. tweeting about this and just been like, you know, believing in it, writing about it, debating about it. We were on Clubhouse. And, you know, it's at a point now, a million users in five days. It's, it's, it's at that level now. Uh, I checked with my cousin actually before t uh, today's podcast recording. Uh, he saw someone using it in the school library. <laughs> like it's that pervasive now. And so anyways, we're going to talk, we're going to talk more. And it sounds like already, like I, I do kind of want to reflect a little bit 
because uh, it's been a journey. I mean, I don't even work at OpenAI, but it's been a journey for me uh, as somebody who's, who's just been covering it, talking about OpenAI products and all that different stuff for so long now. But before I get there, so Abron, I mentioned you're an entrepreneur, you're outspoken, you do workshops, you're an OpenAI ambassador. Uh, I want to just get a little bit of your background and story. Who was Abron before GPT-3? Oof. So I was um, a career entrepreneur uh, and I had jumped around. I had this list. It's an infographic. I'll probably share it on Twitter after this. It shows how many different things I've been paid to do professionally, like in life, just like from beginning to end. And it the range is from like break dancer to artist manager to to teacher uh to to performer like it's a range um but within the last 10 years uh, as i jumped into tech so i got into tech through education i was an ed tech specialist i still am um so i started with my own ed tech startup that kind of made some noise back when ed tech first started so i'm always like early to spaces so ed tech as a bubble and as an ecosystem really started to come together like 2012. And that's why I made my first EdTech startup. It was called New School. It was like the pop culture for education. So you looked up anything going on on like a Netflix show or in hip hop or in sports, and you would find lessons on it on, on this platform. Did really well. I made a lot of noise between like 2012, 2017. And then 2017 came around and me and my partner Grady, we were like, you know, we need, we're, we're in some privileged spaces and we need to show folks from our community, black and brown communities, like the cheat codes. So let's let's try and put people on to get into tech. So we really started as like a tech training, tech talent, kind of like pipeline organization um, back in like 2018, 2019, doing a lot of events all over the country uh, where we called them Create Fest, where we'd show up in like a really underprivileged community and we'd pull up with like AR, VR, drones, robotics, and give everyone access to the things that they might have only seen on TV. Um, that was doing really well for us. We were up on the premise of, of opening up our own like tech labs. And then COVID hit. We got hit by the pandemic, just like everybody else. And we pivoted. And I was just in the lab, just like, you know, doing research on, on emerging technologies. I couldn't tell people, I'm going to put you on to cutting edge tech if I wasn't diving into cutting edge tech myself. And then... Caught OpenAI's release of GPT-3 right at its inception, like day one. And I hit Greg. I don't know if you know the story. I hit Greg straight up on Twitter. And I was like, look, we do a lot of social impact work in the community. We'd love to get access to this and figure out how we can, you know, use it for good. And I saw a DM and it was a DM from Greg, from Greg Brockman saying, give me your email. Um, and then long story short, I started, they started seeing the things that I was creating with, with GPT-3 in the early days and shout out to Ashley, who was like the mother of, of all the ambassadors who's now working on Titan space and is an astronaut. So talk about bragging about, you have a mentor who's in space. Um, she was like, look, I'm, you're, you're doing some interesting stuff. Do you want to be an ambassador? And I was like, I don't know what that means. And she was like, it'll be a small group of folks that, you know, do office hours and, and teach people the ways of the force that is GPT-3. And three years later, we're, we're still the knuckleheads that meet up on Thursdays. So we're still around. That's awesome. And so just to give a little bit of context. So Greg Brockman is former CTO. I think he's now the president at OpenAI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was 
uh, ready to go, hooked him up with Axis. At that at that time, you couldn't just get access to GPT-3, which is the predecessor yeah, the to chat GPT. It was super private. Like, people were making podcasts talking about the fact that they can't get access to GPT-3. And even then, they had, like, millions of, you know, subscribers and stuff. And uh, it was just so new, and I, I don't think anybody expected it to go as gangbusters as it did. Uh, but I, I definitely think, Abron, like, with your background, I it's not just, you know... I think in your case, like your instincts are correct about what's going to be new, what's really going to be significant. Uh, like in my view, all this stuff, whether it's GPT-3 or the image generators like Dolly, this is like the defining dimension that other technology and the world will revolve around, kind of like the iPhone last decade. Yeah. And so I think there's something uh, as well in your past. Like I, I just briefly, if you want to just talk about music and, and some of the stuff you've done around DJing. So in in the music world, I actually came up right at the the epicenter. So I grew up, for folks who don't know me, like from a hole in the wall, I grew up in the Lower East Side of New York City in like the 80s and 90s. So if you do any Google image searches of what that neighborhood looked like back then, it was like the cultural mecca. It wasn't the gentrified thing that you see now. It was where Keith Haring came up. It was where Basquiat came up and Madonna you know, I have, you know, babysitters that used to, you know, hook up with Madonna, you know, in the neighborhood. She had a thing for Puerto Rican guys. <laughs> like it was it was all like that was it. It was the melting pot. And that, that's kind of where I grew up. So as soon as I was old enough to like take the subway on my own and go out there, I'm, you know, learning how to breakdance with Rocksteady Crew. And for those who don't know, Rocksteady Crew invented breakdancing, um, learning DJing and graffiti from like the folks that like invented scratching. So I was there to see a lot of these folks do things at the beginning of, of hip hop. So then my first job out of college was at Hot 97, which is like the, the number one, you know, radio station in New York City. Um, and then I got into music publishing, artist management. You know, I've worked with folks like Too Short and, and, uh, the game, um, Gucci Mane, you know, uh, and a whole roster of like producers and DJs. And, you know, early on, I had to learn how to spot talent and, and how to manage talent. Um, and at the time, I kind of got bored with it because it was like glorified babysitting, literally, when you're managing talent. And I know people that stuck with it and they're doing very well. But I was at a crossroads because the other caveat was I was a Gates scholar. So I was also in the first class of the Gates Foundation Scholars Program um, in the inaugural class. So here I am by day dealing with rappers and R&B singers as my nine to five and at night taking classes at Columbia University for my master's in education on a free ride from the Gates Foundation. So I'm like, I gotta, I knew I was being exposed to like a very unique skill set, right? Of media and entertainment, high level academia and the ivory tower. Um, but anything I'm doing in tech right now has been completely self-taught. I didn't do a single thing between bachelor's, master's, PhD that had to do with tech at all. That's that's crazy. It's impressive. And I'm sure the listeners, like one of the reasons uh, Abron is really unique and I think representative of one of the things that I love about GPT-3 and Dolly, this, all this community, is it's very interdisciplinary. Um, and often the big thing is like, um, it's about creativity. It's about sort of stepping outside your comfort zone, trying new things. And Abron just got such a, a, an amazing story. And later I'd like to revisit any parallels that you see between the music stuff and all that stuff, working with the game and what you're seeing culturally here, uh, with, with especially things like Dolly, but probably even ChatGPT as well. Right. Um, 
I, I would be surprised. 100% there are parallels for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and so we're going to get to that. So, uh, you mentioned how you, you, you heard about GPT-3, how you got access. Uh, the main point I was making is I think you were quite right. Like your hunch and intuition is, is dead on because to somebody, especially even outside of the tech world, even in the tech world, it wasn't obvious that GPT-3 was going to be the thing. Um, uh, for various reasons, I also landed on the same conclusions. I wasn't necessarily chasing what's next, but it yeah. felt very, uh, significant at that time to me, like the iPhone launch and, and stuff like that. And we've been here ever since, right? It's been a ride for me and Abron and everybody else. But anyway, so you talked about GPT-3, which is the predecessor to ChatGPT. Uh, I mean, how did you hear about, about ChatGPT? But I mean, it's probably obvious as an ambassador. <laughs> no, no, like, lately. I mean, yeah? for, for the most part, most of the models, yes, we, we test early on. And with ChatGPT, there were a few guys on the team that were working on it. Um, and I heard whispers, but I, sometimes I'll, I'll see it released on Twitter and then we'll talk about it that week. And they're like, Hey, so I guess you guys saw that we released a new model this week. And I, I have thoughts. I have conflicted feelings for sure, but, and I am an independent. I don't work for OpenAI. Um, so I'm allowed to have independent thoughts separate from the organization. Um, but I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised in a lot of ways and conflicted in, in other ways. But for me, it was nothing new. It was models that I've built myself three years ago. It was prompts that I've created myself three years ago. And it was more public facing now with just with a better UI. And you know, back in the day, <laughs> I say back in the day, like three years ago, um, in order to get this wow moment, this aha moment that everyone's having now, I would do clubhouse rooms where I would let everyone interact with GPT-3 one at a time and ask it questions to get outputs Do uh, for eight hours straight. We would start at like eight, nine o'clock at night and we'd go to like four or five in the morning. And people would just line up nonstop, ready for me to... So I think I was the first person to bring an AI live into Clubhouse, um, starting with Clara. So I made... I, you know, I, I had this idea. I was like, we have to bring it to the people. How do I do that? And I, how do I do it in a way that's representative? So I made Clara. And Clara had been a representation, an extension of like the conversational aspect that everyone is experiencing now. Like, oh shit, I'm talking with a chatbot. So I spent hundreds of hours doing this and I'm like, all right, well now we need to give it a face and a name and an identity. Um, so we built out Clara, who's like the first Afro-Latina AI, but on the back end, it's a lot of GPT-3 in addition to the aggregate of all of her conversations over the last three years, all of her Q and A's, all of her AMAs. And we would set up these sessions where celebrities, scientists, tech folks, you know, academics would just line up one after another artists to, to ask at the time GPT-3 and Clara questions. But now everyone's experiencing that at scale. So it's cool to see, but I've, I've witnessed this already. Yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, like LeBron was like the first to sort of lead a lot of the social good kind of stuff too. Like he, he was running the Slack channel is something that he's very passionate about, uh, from the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of this is, is no surprise for us. So yeah. I, it, you know, it's kind of funny using chat GPT now because 
um, it's kind of like the difference between a manual and an automatic car, right? Like yeah. it's kind of like I, I grew up on manual, so I know how to go to the open eye playground, design my prompt, adjust so the stuff good, on the good right. For sure. Yeah. And when I'm using chat GPT, I can almost feel <laughs> the, the, the gears turning for me. And mm-hmm. so sometimes you're kind of looking at the gear change and you feel it. Other times you're like, you know what? I'm glad this is being done for me. And, I think for a lot, for you and I, like we've seen just so much progress at this point come from the world of language models yeah. that even the, and of course it's shocking and mind blowing and very helpful and all these things. It's also just not surprising, <laughs> right? That we now have this, this, you know, generally purpose agent, I would say that you can speak with natural language, uh, messaging at chat, uh, and it's relatively safe, right? Um, and so I think it's been in the works for a while now. I think it's been cooking for a while. I think this is the culmination of probably two to three years of just stuff OpenAI has been doing behind the scenes, whether it's making the language model better, whether it's figuring out the safety, whether it's even figuring out how can we safely release it so everyone can use it and try it, right? Um, it's, it's a culmination of a lot of things and also just not surprising. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And there's also like a distribution aspect. There's a whole ecosystem now. You can get the word out pretty quickly if you got a cool new language model or a multimodal model uh, that that does a lot. Now, I, I was surprised they released ChatGPT I, because the year is over. <laughs> right. That was my only thinking. I was like, oh, I was surprised they launched uh, DaVinci, uh, Text DaVinci 3 or basically DaVinci 3.5. And I thought that'd be it. Uh, and that's it for the year. And I thought it would be just sort of like a, a step up from the previous instruct GPT stuff. And I was just like, Oh my God, like opening. I still got some juice <laughs> and keep in mind. They just launched opening. I whisper two weeks prior, right? Or maybe a month ago. And it, so for people who don't know, opening, I whisper basically is a new AI model that transcribes audio to text. And it's a very well performing model. A lot of people are, are switching over to that now. But anyways, like I was just surprised because considering OpenAI has had such a busy year, like we're talking Instruct GPT, we're talking Dolly, we're talking, uh, they made some updates to GPT-3 and the playground and stuff. Um, and, and so that's only where I was coming from, where I definitely just didn't see it coming, yeah. at least not this year. No, and I feel bad because they'll come out with a model and, and we dive in deep on that model and they'll come out with something else. And then we dive in deep on that model. I'm like, oh man, but I'm neglecting Dolly or I'm neglecting Codex uh, and I need to go back because I'm playing with this new toy. And then sometimes I got to pull back. I'm like, well, what's, I can't be a specialist in all of them. So like, what's going to be my go-to thing that I'm really going to hone in on? And for the most part, it's been, you know, uh, GPT-3 and, and prompts, as you say, as the, as the prompt father, like that is still my go-to. Um, and but it has been my specialty also has been conversational AI because of Clara and because how much time I spent with Clara. And even when the Washington Post came out with that story on, on the guy Blake from from Google about, you know, sentience and AI when he was having conversations with it, it wasn't real. But they spoke to me the week later and they were like, look, we 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 realize that you are also early in this space. So this is not like something that was like new territory discovered by Blake that you guys and the ambassadors and the early GPT-3 community have been having conversations with AI and you've might've come across similar things, but, and we told them like, we, we know how to navigate like, oh, we're not scared about this. I'm not going to whistleblow on open AI and, and run to the press. Like we know how to navigate the ethics around it, the conversations that we're having with it. Um, so yeah, I'll dabble in Dolly and, and I love chat GPT three chat GPT for what it's doing for the community, but my go-to is still prompts. 
Okay. So yeah, and and so with that said, like so, what are you using either GPT three or ChatGPT four, or I guess I should say GPT three point five and ChatGPT four, yes. and why is it then that you prefer prompts and probably the playground? So I've always been a fan, but have never used. There have been a lot of AI SaaS tools that have been released by the community that have selected one prompt that they want to hone in their product on, um, even if it was like a chatbot, but I never really used it myself because I'm like, they have a baked in prompt in there and I don't know what their settings are. And I want to be able to touch the settings to produce the output exactly the way that I want. So I want to touch the the character counts. I want to touch the, 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 the token limits, the temperature the frequency penalty, the presence penalty. And I know I'm talking a lot of like inside baseball, but like all the settings and the tweaking that you can do in the playground, I don't want to use a front end where I can't touch that anymore. So it, I was never a, uh, a user of other like complete package chatbots. And the same is applying to ChatGPT. You can use it all you want, but you're having to find a way to like prompt it without touching those settings. And I rather get under the hood. You know, I'm that old, you know, manual driver still that that wants to work on the car myself. Um, so, and I have very specific use cases now. Like now, three three years in, I have very specific use cases. But I just feel, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a question later, but I feel bad for a lot of people that have based their products on a singular prompt that has now been, you know, Pac-Man by ChatGPT. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of people who were trying to start their business on something that chat GPT is able to do. And they now all have to pivot basically, you know, the same way the iPhone will come out with a new phone and everyone looks at the list, like, all right, what startups were killed by the new iPhone. Um, and a lot of folks just have to be flexible. Like, all right, well, they're not going to come to me for this because chat GPT is doing it better or is doing it free or out the box. So they don't have to subscribe to my platform for this one particular use case. So you just got to, you know, I do have ideas of like use chat GPT for this, don't use it for this. Do go to a team or do it yourself as far as like a custom prompt design for these particular use cases. And that's kind of like where I'm still living. Right. Um and so like I completely understand your point about the risks of chat GPT to the ecosystem. Uh I agree. I but I, I also think there's another side to it, for example, where OpenAI launched uh, text DaVinci three, basically GPT 3.5. Yeah. And it's at the same price as the previous models. And so I just like, there's that piece that I like is overnight opening. I can ship these model updates. All these startups that are built on top of the ecosystem can just upgrade to the latest version. Yeah. And they get all this performance out of the box <laughs> that, yeah. um, is like basically for free that they didn't develop basically. And I believe, you know, improvements in AI model performance actually makes these companies more money as well. Right. Um, like probably a lot more, like a, probably a lot more conversions from trial to paid. I, I also think as well, like, I think there's still a lot of startups, even with chat GPT that will continue to exist. And that's because they've built a UI. They've, you know, made a whole product out of a specific use case. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they probably have fine tuned it and they have just so many other things, like a, a great experience for these end users that even if they know they could do it in chat GPT, potentially the users may not. Right. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, nobody really knows. Right. Um, now, uh, w with that said, though, like especially the uh, open facing bots and the chat situation, I think those kinds of uh, 
uh, startups may be at risk. Uh, I don't know how many were are there uh, were out there, including yours, because it's also very costly. Uh, from what I've heard, to use yeah. GPT three, it was at one point to use GPT three as as your underlying chat technology. So I, I don't I don't quite know how many people are impacted, but I mean it's worth keeping an eye on, right? Um, and so I've I've mainly been using ChatGPT. I, I wrote an article on something called Matrix Models on Sunday, which I posted on my Substack. ChatGPT helped me write it. Um, I used it. I not only taught it what a matrix model was based on my idea, but I got it to be like, all right, now make me a table of the pros and cons between GPT-3 and, and something like matrix models. So I got it. I not only taught it something, but got it to write the content for me <laughs> for yeah. it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's helping me in, in that way. Uh, I, I always use chat GPT to help me come up with a word to describe some phenomenon. Like I'll just explain it and, ask it to, to what's the word is there a word for that is there something yeah. in science or whatever uh and but again like you're right like we i could have done that in, in gpt3 as well <laughs> right well, back in no, the day I mean, so there like, is there is a performance thing that they did do with chat gpt that just does make it easier and and bravo to them for like making a really simple ui that spits out like the best of the best of what myself and lucas and bram and russ and, and vlad and, and the whole crew have put into it and other folks in the community you have put into it. They're just like, thanks. This is now gonna someone, someone on Twitter said it best of like, you didn't, you don't, you no longer have to cherry pick the good outputs. You have to cherry pick the bad ones, you know, which is perfect. Like just today I had a meeting with like an enterprise client and I'm trying to sell them. Like I can make you this generator, this like AI generator with GPT three. And they're like, all right, we'll send me like a sample. I'm like, okay. And I just, worked up a sample on ChatGPT within a few minutes to send them. Now, obviously, I'll, I'll put some of my secret sauce when we actually land the client um, to make sure that it's reliable and it doesn't do anything else but what the client is asking for. Um, but even just recently, I, I got to publish it maybe on like LinkedIn or something. Um, I wrote Clara's like bio and like Clara being the intersection of like all these technologies. I wrote it with ChatGPT completely. ChatGPT even came up with like a new acronym for what Clara means. Clara actually stands for Create Labs AI Rendered Assistant. It came up with a whole new acronym. So I'm like, I might use that. That one's better than my acronym. Yeah, like pretty much all my previous projects have been renamed. Yeah. Uh, either with GPT-3 or with, I guess, going forward with, with ChatGPT. And it definitely does do a good job. Like there's less, like I'm not trying again as much, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. So th this is where you and I kind of differ a bit. Like I, I was not changing the settings on the right in the playground a whole lot, uh, after instruct GPT. I felt I, I, at one point I put out an article basically saying is prompt design over, <laughs> which is like very controversial and whatever. This is earlier this year. Um, I think in a lot of cases, people don't even want to write prompts. Like I think. Once perhaps they use something like ChatGPT, then they may learn prompts, right? Like, what does yeah. it mean? How do you do it? Um, one, one, one thing that I'm just sort of confused about, I, I think it's a, it is a little bit confusing now because ChatGPT is, is so compelling and just so easy to use. I, I think there's not a lot of clarity on what's the difference between ChatGPT and the playground and just the role and the relationship there now. Like, um, in my opinion, I think the OpenAI Playground is is going to be basically now for uh, people who have advanced prompts, who want to use a prompt, configure it, or they're building an app on top of OpenAI's API. 
Uh, whereas I think most people will be hitting up chat, basically. I used to treat the playground as both a development tool and for my own casual usage. And now I think most of that is going to go to chat. And uh, one thing that I'm a, like, just as a suggestion to OpenAI is it's really confusing. Like y- to go to the chat, you go to chat.openai.com. To go to uh, GPT 3.5, you go to beta.openai.com. Beta, <laughs> and to use Dolly, you go to labs.openai.com. I think there needs to be some consolidation there. And I, I don't know, for some reason, people are still not clear. Like somebody messaged me the other day and they were like, how do I use chat GPT in Discord? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where you got that conclusion from, but it's, it's just non-obvious, right? And like, yeah. anyway, so how do you, how do you think about the ecosystem now? And by ecosystem, I just mean the different suite of tools and products that are there. Uh, and like, so like the their thing. role. I don't, I don't look at, you're, you're right in describing them differently. I don't look at uh, GPT-3, Dolly, Codex as like end user products, like a B2C product. Well, it is, it's like a developer product. And and I had to admit like, all right, as much as I'm trying to put people on and do workshops and hackathons to show people how to use GPT-3, the barrier is just too high. And a lot of those folks are like, look, hey, we, we thanks for the opportunity to show us how this works, but we don't get it. But now we get ChatGPT. And I think now, again, this is my own opinion. I think there are certain platforms for creating that are going to exist within that ecosystem. And then I think they're just going to move forward. We're putting out certain like front end products to to get more adopters and to let people have fun with it. And I think that's kind of where like ChatGPT sits right now. I had a conversation with them early on where I was like, look, I'll help you do some ed tech stuff. I'm even willing to create some ed tech prompts, but I don't want to make any money off of anything ed tech that I make. Like if I make a, like a really amazing ed tech prompt, we should just give it to the ecosystem and just have it be a tool that teachers and students use. And I think this is maybe like something similar where they're like, all right, well, of all the prompts out there, which one should we just put out ourselves? You know, like which are the ones that are going to be just most helpful to the greater good, to the ecosystem, instead of just waiting for the backs and the Abe's and the Brams of the world to make it and turn it into a product and raise a round on it. Because they were waiting on that, too. They're waiting on us to like go up there and blow up and be unicorns using OpenAI on our back end. But I think eventually they just I don't say they got impatient, but they were like, look, we can put this out ourselves, but still support an ecosystem of, of founders and developers that are also going to make cool stuff with our, our, our models. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a huge opportunity for them to. Um, I just also think their own technology wasn't there at, to get to something like ChatGPT. So even if they launched a chat version of the product in 2020, I don't think it would would do as well as the one today. No, I think where they're I think where they're at now, they understand more about how to surface the best answers out of a language model. They understand maybe how to serve those interactions cheaply because it's really expensive to run a service like this. I think they have the right safety controls, and I think they've been quite pragmatic about the whole thing. Um, just like if we are going to launch, uh, you know, our own tool, uh, we should probably have our ducks in a row. Yeah. Uh, in order for for something like that, right? Yeah, you're and exactly right. So, I think I think that patience and that pragmatism is paying off, right? They've they've and even like some small things like increasing the context window, right? Like it's for me like to have it. Apparently, it's 8K. Even 
even Da Vinci's was 4K, they doubled it this year, basically, yeah. right? Like these are huge, huge improvements and latency as well. So speed, how fast the, the model gets back to you with an answer, it used to be really slow. <laughs> I don't know the, most people listening don't even remember or the people just tuning in for the first time. It used to be like 20 seconds. It, it would take you to get that, that response back. Right. And we all used to stick around and wait for it and then try again and try again. And that's how it used to be. Uh, and so, yeah, like I, it's, it's nice to see a culmination of it. I, I definitely think the UI brings a lot of people into the fold. I think a lot of people will get exposed to it that would not have. Um, I think, you know, in terms of commercialization, which is, I guess, the larger thing we're talking about, I think it's, I think, you know, this stuff is kind of like, I've always suggested it's a utility, but yeah. I think sometimes like the way you, you might use a calculator and not disclose it, you know, when you make something that, by the way, I used a calculator, I kind of think that's what ChatGPT is. So when we're talking about commercial applications, like, you know, I used it for my article. Uh, I'm using it for my videos. I came across somebody who uses it to come up with YouTube thumbnails, right? Just even the idea for the thumbnail. Um, and obviously all these other businesses and stuff, lawyers and, you know, like, uh, you know, fiction writers and all these people. Like, I think that will be like the, that will like this really wide net of people just incorporating it into their projects. That will be the commercial deployment, basically, of of a lot of GPT-3 technology. It just won't be in the format of an app, like how we originally thought it would be. And it still could be that way, too, right? Um, yeah, I mean, who knows if, and I don't know this from, from being an ambassador, who knows if they are planning to put out an API? There is a good chance they don't, because they're like, they could say, if you want the API, use GPT-3.5 and use the playground and... and Use the things that we've already laid out for you for that infrastructure. But chat GPT is just like what you see is what you get. And, and you have to use it in this setting not to bake into your products. Now, on the other side, if they do bake it into products, there, there is going to be wide use, obviously, but more consistent outputs across everyone's products of what's coming out on the other end. Because then you're not being able to tailor it as much as you could from the playground for very unique outputs, which I still sit in uh, on the 3.5 side to get very unique outputs. And I am the one person that's like still holding up a flag for, for prompt engineering and, and prompt design. I call it prompt design, prompt engineering, same shit, but it's, it's something that like, and on the, I know we're not really talking Dolly, but on the AI art side too, I don't share prompts anymore because I feel like my prompts are, is my IP and the things that I generate. And it is still something that I monetize. It's like I've come up with a very unique prompt for you to get this very unique output. And I'm still going to rely on that as a business until it becomes obsolete. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. You know, I, it's a product suite, you know, uh, and opening eyes a business. And it's a, it's a matter of choosing your preferences and options. And I should have probably cleared this up earlier. So. Right now, what's also confusing about everything, so when you use ChatGPT at chat.openai.com, that's uh, basically a specialized version of GPT 3.5. Am I correct, Ebron, in saying that? Um, it's very similar to 3.5 with, okay. you know, like, think about if you, if you or me, if we made a chatbot with 3.5, Mm -hmm. You're just not seeing the secret sauce that you would see in, in our prompt customization as the same. You're not seeing on what's on the back end laying on top of 3.5 with ChatGPT. 
So it's just their their secret, you know, combination of of what they decided to add on top of of their prompt. Right. So, okay, okay. So, like, roughly, we could say ChatGPT is like their specialized secret sauce version, and you you access that at chat.openai.com. To access GPT 3.5, you go to beta.openai.com, and there's no chat interface. You and go on something called the playground. Staring at you in the face. It's yeah, and you can do other things besides the chat dialogue yes. format, right? Like you can, uh, you know, do a Q and A format. You can give it code. You can, you know, write a whole story and just have it fill out what's next, right? It doesn't need to necessarily be in the chat format. Um, and so, anyways, that's also confusing. And then it's also confusing, like the instruct models. Like I had somebody ask me the other day, "How do I use the instruct model?" And I was like. That's text Da Vinci three, right? Or two, right? Um, and like, anyway, some of the naming and even though it says text Da Vinci three, it's technically GPT three point five, right? And so it's like, I mean, I don't know. I I think for for most intensive purposes, people are just we're just talking about Chat GPT, right? <laughs> like, I think. Uh, when you get down to the nitty gritty, you got to find the documentation, which will summarize what the different model engines are. Yeah. Uh, and like, uh, th- the naming is confusing, but I, everybody's aware and OpenAI knows from what I saw on Twitter. Uh, but anyways, just want to clear that up. Um, so, uh, what, uh, what are some cool use cases you saw, uh, on Twitter that, you know, things people were doing with chat GPT? Oof. And I probably should have did my homework, uh, for chat, for chat GPT. Um, ChatGPT for sure. Um, me and, and a couple other folks were playing around with, um, st- on the education side, um, breaking down very difficult, complex concepts, but in a way that most people would understand. Now, this is an old go to reliable, you know, preset prompt in GPT 3. It's like explain it to a second grader, is how most people know it, right? But I understand things better from a metaphor or an analogy to something else that I fully understand, right? Like I could talk AI and use hip hop analogies all day or use sports analogies all day. So I, I myself and and an actual quantum physics engineer was like explain quantum entanglement, but in a way that, you know, uses metaphors and analogies. And it was like, all right, well think of it like this. And you have two person, two people connected in different places you know, pulling at the same string, one moves and the other is impacted. And it, it really broke it down in a simple, simple way. I did the same thing with like break down time travel with like street slang, uh, break down artificial intelligence using, you know, uh, rap vocabularies. Uh, you're seeing some great outputs from folks at the creative output for like scripts or, or teasers uh, for show ideas and and concepts around creativity which i mean you should have vlad on because that is vlad's bag and and edward sachi like there's there's a i don't know if you know but there's like ai film festivals now and it's a lot of folks from that community that are you that are now especially going to be using these tools to generate storyboards concepts the scripts you know characters there's so much now that can be done with with uh with chat gpt um I have pushed it. Obviously, a lot of people are finding ways to work around the guardrails of like, don't answer questions related to A, B, and C that are, were baked into that system. 
where it says, look, I'm just an AI assistant. I don't, I'm not allowed to really give an opinion. That's not what I'm here for. But then if you just tell it to pretend to be someone, then it goes into character mode, right? And then it's like, all right, I'll pretend to be this uh, to answer your question. Um, so I think from, from a, that's been interesting. I just saw a whole thread today of like, these are the workarounds to get around the guardrails, which like you, you have to give it to the community. They're always going to find a way to, to do that. They're always going to find a way to like get around things. And if they can't do it within this model, someone is going to try and reverse engineer and build a clone of this model. If it hangs around long enough, or if the code is on Git long enough, someone's going to make a clone with less restrictions. Like we've seen with, you know, several clones that are out there and they've been there the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that the jailbreaking going on <laughs> was an interesting development. Yeah. Uh, typically in OpenAI launch, all we get is use cases, videos, screenshots. Yeah. I found it could do this. It could do that. It could do that. Um, but this time, I, I think people were just less surprised. And so they just went to just like, let me see how much I can... How can fool it to to say something that it's not supposed to say? Uh, I've heard they've been plugging those sort of gaps very quickly. So a lot of the uh, the so-called jailbreaks no longer work. And I've also heard that they took a fair amount of uh, sort of... They had to really walk around with ChatGPT. And then towards the end, they got it to do stuff that it wasn't supposed to do, right? And so I don't know what to say with that, man. Like, I'm like, you know, congratulations, bro. <laughs> like, in most cases, bro. <laughs> like, you're completely missing the point of the technology, right? And I don't know if it's like one of those things where they feel like they want up to open AI. I mean, this is like the latest research and development, you know, so much went into it to make it safer and people just, you know, get some thrill out of it. Um, it's not like they're breaking into its code or stealing no. its weights. <laughs> Um, they're just, you know, tricking this model and probably just training it to be smarter in the future. Right. And listen, um, this is not a, like me being a brand loyalist, but no one is doing more for doing it the right way, the ethic, ethical way with more regulations and oversight and guardrails than, than open AI. I mean, that was their knock from the beginning is that anything you wanted to put out in, in production with open AI had to go through a human production review. Now, they've done that enough and long enough to see what they can automate from that process. And I think now you don't have to go through like a human panel. But I, there's several things that I had to submit that I had to sit in front of a real panel to explain how I'm going to use it and, and protecting it. And I did an interview, I think it was with the information about Lambda when Lambda first came out. And they're like, well, how does Lambda achieve this? I'm like, they can't. They're not going to be able to scale human screenings of every single thing that's submitted with Lambda. So now that all of these models have kind of like matured um, where they don't need human review and they have like an automated process for submitting to go to production, um, you might see Lambda come out with something similar. But now with, with ChatGPT being like the go, it might be the go to for search results. And Google got something on their on their plate that they got to figure out if if they got OpenAI knocking at the door. Yeah, and uh, of course, like we're talking like years of learning around safety and yeah. hands-on screening that are baked into this product, right? Yes. So I don't think a lot of these people like you're jailbreaking it, but you don't understand like there's so many insights and and stuff that's gone into the safety side. You're scratching the surface, right? Like it's I feel like there's a lot more to the model than that. But now on a prompt design level, like I respect it. <laughs> like wow, like you know they're with. Yeah. 
the right prompt and it's sort of now before the prompt like i guess the essence of the jailbreak in the past was just um maybe like uh actually there wasn't jailbreaks in the past because it wasn't that hard to get it to say something inappropriate mm-hmm. but nowadays the essence of it is getting it distracted by one thing and then later on coming around and getting it to do something else so it's kind of like almost kind of like i don't want to make too much of a stretch but it is kind of like fooling a human right like a lot of the the grifts that go on at first everything is good it's just later on they sneak up up sneak up one on you right well they yeah. have you distracted with something else and but even so, the pretend the, the the pretend concept is that that was still a technique that i used with with the straight up prompt design whenever i would do yeah. these office hours and someone was trying to build something my you know it's kind of ironic now because anytime i would tell someone uh how on how to get started i would tell them tell it exactly what you want it to do which is how you interact with chat gpt and also pretend a little bit until it reaches this what i call this like okay i get it moment we're like if you pretend with gpt3 long enough at some point it's going to be like okay i get it i got it from here right like you gave me three four kind of layups from the fifth on i'm golden right so a lot of people try to command it now mind you i'm not a coder i'm not a programmer i came at this as a creative and a lot of the ambassadors are creatives and artists and that worked to my advantage because I did look at it in a way that wasn't uh, a coding. What's the keystroke? What's the command to get this output? No, 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 no. I came at it as a communicator. We're like, speak to the machine for a little bit, massage it, say, please. And thank you. Tell it exactly what you want it to do. You know, maybe walk it through a few examples and then let it go. And then it's off to the races. And that's exactly what ChatGPT is now, basically. Yeah, yeah. In my view, the, the art of prompt design has always been how can you fool a machine to do what you want? Yes. That's been the art of it. Um, I, I guess where I'm a little bit hating on the jailbreaking is it's like, duh, <laughs> like yeah. obviously in the first round. And actually, I think compared to Taybot or whatever, the one that Microsoft launched years ago, that was a complete disaster. I actually think ChatGPT has held its, held its ground pretty well, right? Yeah. Uh, despite sounding like, uh, it was written by lawyers at times, right? But even and, if and it doesn't, like an they, even if it doesn't, they're iterative enough to be to, especially with us, with the ambassadors, anybody. I'm a narc, straight up. Like if I see someone using it for the wrong reasons, I do do do. Yo, I'm seeing this. Send them a screenshot. Oh, okay, that's something that you know we gotta. Thanks, thanks for flagging that. Now it doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Now they found a way to like take that out of the code, and because it does take giving it to a community to try and break it. And what they call what they call like you know adversarial testing, red teaming, things like that to find oh that is something we missed, but we're not going to be stubborn and leave it in there. We're going to address it as soon as we identify it. Yeah, no, there's there's absolutely you're right. There's absolutely a role for it. I think it it is kind of the sometimes the essence of prompt design. It's all these other things, but I I think where I just come out is like there's so many productive ways to use chat gpt i just tend to like really like productive conversations yeah right? don't waste your time like, on that yeah but if and you're like, creative you got to look at those jailbreaks and be like how do i use that for a creative purpose how do i use that in another way that isn't being a troll right like if you yeah. are doing something that has a very specific use case and it's not getting it because of those i'm an ai bot don't ask me to do that sometimes you do have to tell it to pretend but the, the pretend prompt is going to do something that has a positive business use case or an artistic use case. But, you know, sometimes you have to, like, fool the machine, as you said. 
Right, right. Uh, yeah, and um, <clears throat> I, I definitely think there was a lot of FOMO too when the ChatGPT dropped. It's like everybody wants to find the best use for it as quick as possible. Um, I, I think there's some things it does very well, like code. I think it's well understood. A lot of coders are using it. Um, <clears throat> the uh, I, I I've always used GPT three, but I think ChatGPT is better for. And you mentioned this as well, like. If you're new to any subject, I found it's incredible to just have it open, ask questions as you're learning. I love asking uh, questions that are sort of more like implicit knowledge. So if I'm yeah. learning a topic like in science or, or something or machine learning, I'll ask it, how come nobody's built this? You know, yeah. stuff that I don't think there's any way Google could, would answer that. And sometimes it has a reasonable idea. Now, of course, you have to be careful because ChatGPT can still make stuff up. But it is a tremendous, tremendous learning device. Um, and obviously earlier this year, I put out an article. It was called, uh, instruct GPT is greater than Google search. It was very clickbaity at the time. I got a lot of heat and smoke for it. This was, I think, February, as soon as instruct GPT dropped. But so far, it's things are, are really trending in, in that direction. Yeah. Uh, a lot of questions I'm, I'm no longer, I already wasn't really using Google that much. We were using GPT three and now it's just becoming more and more. I, I mean, I guess I'll go ahead and say it. I, I do think even now, ChatGPT has taken some of Google's market share. And this may be one of the most interesting, credible threats Google has seen in like 20, maybe more than 20 years, right? Uh, now, with that said, there's a caveat. It could still hallucinate information. It can be fooled. There's all these other still challenges that remain with ChatGPT. And the CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, recently tweeted like, it's an awesome tool. It's really impressive, but you, you, shil- you still shouldn't fully trust it or, or something like that. But there's, 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 there's bad actors in all these technologies. So I think it's unfair to expect AI in general to be perfect, let alone the knowing that it's a tool and knowing that the bad actors behind the AI never get blamed. So for instance, you'll see a, you'll see a sensational viral article. AI is, discriminates against X, Y, and Z. AI is racist. No one is blaming the Abe or the backs behind the system that programmed it in the prompt to do that in the poor data set in the biased data set in the biased prompt um, in the lack of guardrails. So the, the folks behind it need to get the blame. And even with, I mean, we all rely on Google search every day has billions of users. Is every search result perfect? No. Um, is every search result exactly what you were looking for? No, is every search result appropriate? Absolutely not, right? So even as a middle school teacher, one of those careers I had um, in Jersey City, gave my kids an assignment to do a paper on Martin Luther King. The fourth result on the first page of Martin Luther King was made by the KKK um, and had complete like falsified information on Martin Luther King. Um, uh, is this And they ranked fourth on uh, on a Google on the first page of a Google search result for for Martin Luther King. Now hmm. they should be, you know, something slipped through the cracks. You got to call it out and flag it, and that's why those functions are are there. Um, but I think to your point, OpenAI is going to be a the next step. So where Google revealed to us that we can find all things as a society, we can find all things through Google. With engines like OpenAI's ChatGPT3, 
chat GPT, you can now know all things, right? Like you find all things with Google, you now you can know all things and that's powerful, right? Like no, being able to, to know something and learn something, you know, not just find it is, is crucial. Yeah. And I, I just, I think like that time to some level of proficiency, some level of knowledge, some level of expertise that's dramatically reduced with access to something like chat GPT. It quite levels the playing field in the past. You need to find an expert. You need to find somebody willing to mentor you to explain what's going on on the inside. Who's read all the information and all that stuff. Uh, or you'd need to Google in all these exact ways and then read like, conflicting advice right and and stuff like that and i just i think it's quite liberating and you know we've kind of already seen this with with the code with codex right which is OpenAI's code yeah. writing model think of it as gpt3 for code um a lot of programmers found it easy with github copilot and codex to just jump into a new language that they didn't even know because they knew at least github copilot has probably had some exposure to it and so that time to some proficiency that time to expertise is is a lot lower um, but I, you know, I think it's incredibly powerful. I think it's incredibly handy. Think about how much more people can accomplish now that they're more informed. And when I look at Google now, like it's even just hard to look at sometimes. Like when I'm looking at these results, I'm like, really? You don't have answers in, in, in plain text. You don't have answers that are, you know, concise, that are, you know, cohesive, that have strung together all these different resources. It's not like a crisp explanation, right? And I think going forward, especially as a lot of young people uh, in schools and universities use ChatGPT, um, it's they're going to demand something like that. Like, like they're going to demand uh, an, a language model level answer to most things. They're not going to look for a, a search results page with links on it that half of it is ads, right? No, because you're 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 searching for the information. And now the information is being provided for you. I forgot who said it. It was some some academic where they said, you know, we're going from the information age to there's too much information out there to the curation age. We're like, now we need to, this information overload. And now I need to find the things exactly of, of what I'm looking for. And this is like an evolution of that because, you know, now you don't have to, all right, I've, I mean, my computer is the worst where I go to search to Google search. I click on maybe 10 to 12 relevant tabs and I open them all up as separate tabs. And now I have to do the hard work and like dig through all these tabs to see if anything here is relevant or not, where you don't have to do that now with chat GPT, especially when chat GPT gets connected to the internet, it's game over. Um, so the only thing that's really holding it back right now is that it's still in its research phase. It is offline. And there's a timestamp to the data. So if there's something that just happened yesterday, it's not going to be in there. Um, but I think that's just a matter of more, as you said, more safety constraints that they're building in to make sure that it can handle being live and open on the interwebs. Yeah, yeah. So, so just to put a quick button, I think the public reception was was just insane. And like probably, you know, a million people in five days, I think most people at some level have heard of it. Like, I don't think my, my parents have quite heard of it yet. Yeah. It might be a little bit longer for them. Uh, but like I said, like my cousin at, at, at the school library, they're using it. It's all over TikTok, which uh, you, you might be following. You're, you're actually on TikTok, unlike me. 
and you know it's it, it's not just cons- it's not just exciting news about this is not just concentrated to twitter <laughs> and yeah. the same people being excited about it like how it used to be yeah um and so the jailbreaking we, we talked about it uh, there's benefits uh to it as well uh we talked about some of the use cases but yeah the public reception has been crazy and how are you feeling about this this level of virality and usage every year and every time we talk everything just gets bigger and more people know about it isn't it crazy to just watch and see it is crazy and um as i mentioned being a non-technical developer designer you know someone that's just a technologist but non-technical it does you know this is the multimodal podcast this is what it does it enables people who have multimodal skill sets to then bring their skill set to this technology had gpt3 never been created you would not get a lot of people who didn't know python and react and messing around with this stuff but now that they created this nlp based dashboard with gpt3 it opened the door for a lot of creatives who didn't know how to code the same is happening here we're like you're going to get a lot of people producing some really interesting creative outputs that have no technical experience whatsoever, um, messing around with, with ChatGPT and getting some amazing outputs for their businesses, for their careers, for, for artistic projects that have not a lick of training in AI whatsoever, doing some great stuff with ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting to see. I, I think the more the merrier. Um, I just think though, like if everybody and their sister is using it, um, I sometimes wonder about my own role, you know, like, you know, it used to I be, you. I used, I, yeah, like I used to feel like I got to find the use case, you know, like we got to get the word out <laughs> about this thing. And, you know, people are out there finding use cases. People are out there like, you know, creating documentation people are out there making YouTube. Like there's so many YouTube videos on chat GPT or whatever. <laughs> like, and I'm like just blown away. Right. Because. I used to be able to count on one hand how many people are making videos about GPT-3, yeah. right? Um, and so it's the more the merrier. It's exciting. Uh, sometimes I feel actually a little bit alone. Like I'm like, wow, there's just so many of them <laughs> and so few of us, right? And like sometimes I wonder even how OpenAI feels, right? Like, you know, to get a million users in, in five days, like you are, you, you, you have to do a lot of growing up as a company. Like they were already pretty grown up, I'd say, but... It's like a bunch of people just moved into your house, right? Like you need to, it's, it's, and of course, like, it's just, there's just so many more people in the community now, and there's just so few of us, right? Either promoting or working on it and and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, like next year, like, I think, um, we'll we'll chat a little bit more, but I think, you know, this, this party is, is just getting started. And, you know, you bring up something that, all of us are, are struggling with. And, you know, my hot take is we deserved it because, and the reason I say that is there is an element, and this is why I'm conflicted with it. There is an element of like this FOMO where um, we were working on something that now a lot of people have access to. So for, I know a lot of people who are like to say like a recipe generator, right? Like there might be someone out there that had a recipe generator as their like startup. Using GPT-3, they built this amazing recipe generator prompt. They're out here trying to raise around. They're out here trying to get subscribers and turn around and ChatGPT does it better than what you've built. Um, 
And I'm not even a con and on the other side and like just spreading the word, I'm not even a content creator like, like you are, but I even look at the TikToks and I'm like, damn, all these people are making content on something that I've been doing for years. I should go out there and make a video. But even if I try and make a video, it's going to get a thousand views. These people are getting like 500,000 views and they just experienced chat GPT yesterday where it, it's not based on like who has seniority, who has more ranking or priority. It's just who, who has the better algo. You know what I mean? When it comes to making content, that's your game, not mine. And anytime I try and dip my toe in it and I see that I get 300 views, I'm like, I'm out because I don't want to deal with the anxiety on the content side of like, I got to, why how, I'm the expert. How come I'm not getting enough views? But on the product side, on the use case side is where me and other prompt engineers are sitting with that FOMO of like, I've been spending all night working on this prompt and GPT, chat GPT just gave it to the community for free. So there goes that one. I'm going to throw it out because I can't monetize that. I can't make that my subscription model. I can't make that my B2C SaaS tool. I got to come up with something else. And now the work is where is the, where are the things that chat GPT can't do or can't do well that needs that personal touch from folks like me and you and, and others in the community. Because, and, and even as the ambassadors, we thought no one's going to call us anymore for office hours. They, it, this thing is super easy to use. We're booked for like weeks. We're at capacity. I look at my calendar. All my office hours are booked up. So there's still, I don't know, I can't explain it, but there's still some room for like expertise because even still with ChatGPT out there, people are still booking time with us to learn how to use ChatGPT. And what do I tell them? Just, just go like this, bang the keyboard and something's going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I, and by the way, so for people who are missing the context here, so from the beginning, uh, because Abron is an official OpenAI ambassador, uh, all the OpenAI ambassadors as a part of, as, as a part of the OpenAI community, as a user, you can just sign up for office hours. And so you could meet with Abron. Uh, sounds like he's booked up, but eventually you can meet with him and they, they can help you with various issues, whether it's commercialization, giving you feedback. And a lot of it from my understanding has been just like prompt therapy, like yeah. giving you advice on like how to like change your prompt up to get the most out of GPT three and stuff like that. Uh, collaborations as well are another area. And between the ambassadors, I'd say they're all pretty, pretty interdisciplinary, but, um, you know, I, I would say like, uh, Vlad is, is definitely, uh, on the artist end, yes. like if, if you're an artist, you want to chat, uh, they all have different areas of expertise, right? Um, and so that's also really nice and helpful. It's a great resource that I've tried to plug on Twitter. We plugged before on the podcast, but I definitely recommend it. Like it's, it's unbelievable that you can just book a meeting with someone like Abron and you, sh you all should <laughs> take advantage of it. Sorry to <laughs> book up your calendar for another six months abroad, yeah, but no, it's all um, good. That's why we're here. Yeah. But so this question of, of just, relevance and soul searching and FOMO like you know it's it's just fascinating right like so um Riley Goodside who does a lot of these amazing prompts for GPT-3 on Twitter like he's found all these crazy things that it can do he's invented new techniques via prompt design he tweeted yesterday that you know he's sick of chat GPT like he misses the prompt he misses being his hands dirty kind of like you're describing with with the controls on the right um so he's 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 thinking that way. There's maybe startups that are like, okay, ChatGPT probably does what I do. Now I need to adapt. On the media end, there's just like, wow, there's like all these new faces, and they all showed up overnight. Yeah, right. Like 
like you know this stuff used to be so niche it used to be so like you know i would put out a video and don't most people TikTok, have seen bro. it don't go to tiktok I, i'm I, telling you i it's the yeah, thing you're gonna nuts, be like right? how how did they yeah. get two million views and they learned this yesterday and i've yeah. been doing this for years and losing sleep <laughs> and 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 you see them go through similar motions yeah. of it, right? Like they they learn what prompt design is, they learn what prompt engineering is. They don't think it's the best name, yeah, <laughs> right? None of they, the product. They start they start like you know they they're sort of like going through the same things. Like what are the use cases? How can I make money? Like all these classic classic almost it's like a rite of passage. Some of these kinds of questions, yeah. right? Now on my end, like I'm like I'm I'm cool like in the sense that I like the more the merrier. I like competition. I I want to get better. Uh, at the same time, like uh, for what I do, a lot of it is based on my perspective as well as my own projects. So a lot of people are tuning in not not just for updates on OpenAI or these things. There maybe I feel a lot of people tune in to hear what what I think about it, right? And also just my ideas, especially around what's next. I think that is an area <laughs> where hopefully I have some somewhat of a unique advantage com compared to most people because I do spend a lot of time thinking about it, probably way more than the average person. Um, and also like. I don't know, like, I don't really run a lot of this stuff, like, kind of like you, like, mm -hmm. I run this as a volunteer, like, I don't really make money, if anything, it's quite time consuming, yeah. I lose money from all of this. Uh, but I, I do like putting it out there. I've had some great uh, life experiences as a result of the volunteerism that I do here. And I like the scale of it. You know, I put out a video and thousands, tens of thousands of really specific people see it who are creating things just to be a part of their journey is, is quite rewarding to me. And so I don't know, I, I will just see myself doing it and continuing to doing, continue to do it no matter how many other people there are. Right. But yeah, the thing or, is, I like, mean, I, I feel like VCs are also kind of accountable because they're always harping on like, what's your moat? What's your differentiator? How are you like, how do you mm. make sure that no one else is doing this? I'm like, you can't, you like, why can't we just all coexist? Why can't like, when you go to the candy yeah. store, is there one chocolate bar? No, there's like thousands of different selections. You know, there's not even one social media platform. There's not even one TV channel. There's thousands. So like if someone's raising money for a TV channel, what the hell is their moat? Nothing. Like there's more TV to watch. You know what I mean? Like you got to, there's enough people out there to capture your market and exist just fine, even if it's in ChatGPT. And a lot of people now are saying a lot now is going on the user experience, right? So like if now if the AI is the equalizer and there's going to be other ways to get this output, then what's the front end? What's the user experience? What's the user interface? And sure enough, what got ChatGPT to this point of virality was their user interface, it's really no different than chat GPT is. I mean, uh, GPT three is just the user experience is so much easier, so much cleaner and, and so much better. And I could put it in dark mode. Yeah. I, and so by the way, this has been a very interesting topic from the beginning. What, what Abron's describing, right? It's, it's if everyone can build off of GPT three or 3.5 or whatever, um, and you build a business around it, like an app or something, how do you know somebody else won't just build the same business and compete with you? And they're using the same underlying technology. What's the differentiator? So in 2020, I had wrote an article. You could check it out. It's like how to build a GPT-3 startup monopoly. Um, it's uh, the article kind of has a lot of folklore around it at this point. <laughs> it's really long, like super long. Your eyes will bleed reading it kind of like a lot of my articles. But <laughs> I, I propose 20 techniques around it um, on how you can sort of go around it. UI is one of them, like just yes. great design 
great, great design, something really leading and, and stuff like that. But it, it is still yet to be seen, right? All these startups that have raised money that run on GPT-3, we'll find out how, how they're doing, how they did. Um, I, I still think it's, it's possible. Yeah. And, uh, it's I, so I, early. I, I, it's not just early. I come from the philosophy that everybody can eat. So not only do I like competition, I like, I like the yeah, belief that everybody can eat. And I think everybody benefits too. Like yeah. more people jumping into media only benefits me. Yeah. Right. Let me say, and, let me get a charger. Okay. No problem. And we're back. We are charged up. Okay. Excellent. Um, so yeah, I, I was just saying that, um, yeah, like I, you know, it's, it's, everything is just, it's, it's just the beginning. Every, every year I say the same thing. <laughs> it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. We're just, you know what I mean? And yeah, like there's just also just so many things going on, right? Between yeah. Dolly and Codex and this, like I can't even, I just cannot even keep. So the main thing is I can't even keep track anymore <laughs> of no. everything that's going on. Like, yeah. and it's you know, been because, like this all of this year. Well, because I've navigated so many different industries, um, mm. my my hip hop stage name was Aaronic, right? Like, I always liked being the 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 irony in the room or the the contrast. So when I was in high level like academic spaces, I was the hip hop guy. When I was in the hip hop spaces, I was the nerd, the the high intellect, you know, and when but you when you're around your similars nothing seems impressive and that's what me and you at fault for our own fault right like we're in this room of like other ai people and nothing we create is going to be impressive to them because they're trying to outdo us right but what i found as a as a niche market is going to people who have never heard of any of this stuff who just see still see the magic of what i've presented to them and want to buy that magic because they're not on Twitter till four in the morning looking at other people's chat GPT outputs. They're, they're, they're marketers. They're, they're brand ambassadors. They're, they're people who are running businesses that just need to improve their productivity and, and be more efficient. And they don't have time to learn about AI. I, I, this was my busiest year speaking ever. And most of the speaking engagements, the main stage time that I had with like Clara was like, tell us how to future ready our product or our business. And tell us about AI, and I'm the only AI guy in the room. Um, so I get a lot of business out of that because they don't know anybody else who who are doing AI uh, prompt design like like I am. So there's enough spaces out there where you could be the only one that's holding the magic, you know, <laughs> the the magic uh, recipe uh, for their business. Uh, but don't bang your head going into a space that's crowded with everyone else that's trying to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, as the AI models improve, there will be new capabilities. And so it's the same game as 2020. If you can find some use case and build a startup around it that is successful, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're really monetizing and, you know, you're going to, you're going to probably grow really fast and, and be successful. Right. So I think, I think a lot of it is also like the game is absolutely beginning and you got to keep your eyes peeled. You got to keep a fresh mind. You got to look for opportunities. You got to hustle. Um, and like, yeah, you're right. Like I've, I've also had just had so many more people reach out to me this year. And this year, like I, I, I didn't have to explain what a prompt was. Like it's such a mm-hmm. relief. <laughs> like there's some things which are like really spreading and quite pervasive now that, it wasn't the case. Like last year, we wouldn't have any significant conversations because yeah. half of the convo would be prompts. What's a prompt? And then how do I get access to GPT-3? Yes. <laughs> right. And like, yeah. we're just, we're in a different place now. 
Um, so you mentioned that ChatGPT potentially, if they add in the capability to browse the web, I heard rumors about this too. I don't know if it's true. Uh, I agree with you that it's going to be a crazy game changer, especially to Google and stuff. So just explain this to people who may not know. Uh, earlier this year, OpenAI put out a research paper called WebGPT. And so WebGPT is this, is, it was a separate model. They never released it, blah, blah, blah. It uses Bing and it basically looks up the information on Bing and then summarizes the information on Bing into like a crisp answer. And it even does citations as well. So we'll even cite the different links that it used and, and stuff like that and summarize it in this really crisp way. Uh, so anyways, it's very exciting if, if, if like, and just thinking about where chat GPT could be going, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they haven't, uh, if they've disabled the web browsing for now for safety reasons, and perhaps maybe they might start rolling out the web browsing capabilities maybe next year. And I don't know if this is true. I don't know if it's built in. It seems to me the way chat GPT is, it's, it's what I'm sort of calling an Easter egg product. I sort of feel like there's all these Easter eggs in it that we don't know about, right? And perhaps web browsing, when they enable it, may be one of those Easter eggs. Or, you know, what they call with like, you know, electric cars, like over the air updates to your smart devices. Like it just might show up one day. Um, I, well, one, I can't speak to like the roadmap of, you know, web GPT, you know, going live and, and at scale, but I've been testing models, not web, but, you know, chat, Dolly, GP, you know, months, years before they're released. And I bet you a lot of that time, especially with, with Dolly, was spent on safety, you know, and even if it was capable by this point, this runway before it gets actually released is all just like safety and, and thinking about what could go wrong if we release this to the public um, and especially web. Um, personally, I'm not a fan yet of the idea because it's essentially a web scrape that then also needs the same refining that I have to do manually when I'm doing a Google search, right? So it's going to search those things. Is it the best? Now, embed and ser semantic search does some great things with GPT-3 around like ranking and valuing the best results based on the context of what you're trying to do. If all that is baked in there, it's going to be way better than my search results. Um, because it's also not looking for the, for the domain ranking or page ranking. It's looking for the relevance. It's looking for relevance and context. That alone is going to be big. Um, so I'll, um, I'm moderately excited for it, but like I said, I still like doing it the manual way of like, give me a data set that I trust. And then I'll do some really interesting things with GPT-3 based on this knowledge base that I know really well and that I, I, I know is within the safety parameters that I need to be for this output. Yeah, you're right. So I hadn't even considered that. Like the absolute risks of getting stuff from the web. <laughs> and mm -hmm. like you just, you even described that search result uh, about uh, Martin, the late Martin yeah. Luther King, right? And obviously it's problematic. <laughs> Like, and exactly. like maybe, maybe chat GPT wouldn't have done that on its own. And then it looked it up on the web and then it sort of does something like that. Right. So there's yeah. absolutely risk there. I, I hadn't even considered that. What if it I, summarizes all of page one, you know what I mean? Like in the page one of rankings, it summarizes everything that it's found on, on page one, including the bad shit. And like, that's, that's a thing. Like, I'm sure these what if moments 
And I hope they're taking notes while I'm talking right now because I'm sounding pretty cool. But, you know, these are things that we bring up in our meetings with them of like, have you thought about this? What about that? And it takes talking to the community to think about the the ethics, too. And I'm just glad that they're open to listen. I mean, I can't get Google on the phone to tell them about something. I have gripes with Google, mainly because I'm a parent of four and their UI around YouTube kids and just YouTube in general is problematic. I need to be able to get to a point, and I know this is like a tangent, where like my three-year-old, I can just pick the two or three channels that I want her to watch. Right now, it's a fed algorithm of what they're recommending. And if chat, if WebGPT is working similarly of like, it can only process what it's being recommended to it by Google or by the search engine, that's going to be problematic. You know what I mean? You can't custom tailor what you're getting out of Google, you know, and that dynamic and you also that partnership, that's going to be a monster of a partnership. If they not just do a web API scrape of like a bang, but they partner at the, like the, the leadership level with a Google or, or a Microsoft, you know, these are, these are amazing points. And I 100% agree with you. Um, safety has, has definitely been something this year, which, you know, I, you know, there, there's, there was a lot of moments where I did speak out about my own safety concerns very publicly. And, uh, it's one of those things that I, I think as a platform, I, I haven't done that great of a job. I, I think I've always cared about safety, but, uh, I haven't done enough. I feel sometimes, uh, just even talking about it on the podcast and like, I was going to announce it at some point, either on Twitter or whatever, but anybody in the future who's going to pitch me about their GPG-3 startup or idea, you're welcome to pitch me, but I want you to spend the first 30 minutes talking about safety. Like, I want to hear safety first. And to be absolutely clear to all the listeners out there, this platform is safety first. I care about safety. I want to hear about safety. I don't want any nonsense. And I'm not messing around. Uh, and I think one of the reasons I, I like talking about OpenAI so much is I also think it's it's good for the soul in the way that I don't feel like this is a company trying to do bad that is, you know, being negligent, that is, you know, making uh, egregious errors that are dangerous to society. And for a lot of new listeners, I, it might not be apparent to you, but, you know, AI is like like Abra and I have been discussing, it's it's dual use. So on one hand, you can get all these benefits and you're saving time, you might be making money, it's making you smarter, it's doing stuff for you, tremendously beneficial. But on the other hand, the risks and dangers of AI are are just as great, if not greater, right? And AI goes all the way to an existential risk level. Uh, so it could affect everybody's safety. And so like again, to be clear, and this is this is why I, I love Abron as just as a mentor and a role model in the community. Um, safety, safety first, and it, it's really good to hear that you you pass on on, on this kind of feedback as well. It's well, blame that, blame me. You know what I mean? Like, don't blame the system. Don't 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 blame the tool. Like when a a, a dictatorship or like a tyrannical government makes propaganda media, no one's blaming Final Cut Pro. No one's blaming Photoshop. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the inception of that concept of, of that, the, the misuse and the misinformation are the bad actors behind it. And yes, they found a way to use the tool for that. Right. But you can't expect that every tool has these safeguards baked into it because at some point, if you have too many safeguards, it's going to take away the creativity and the tools that, that are there for the creativity. So I get the folks with the clones and, you know, the stable diffusions and the mid journeys of the world that are like, 
there's too many restrictions around Dolly. Come over across the street where we have less restrictions. All right. Well, you're going to get something over there, too, that you weren't expecting, like Dolly Mini, which I can't stand. You know what I mean? Because of the, the violent outputs that I've seen with that. The not safe for work, you know, AI discords from, from using those engines. And like those things you're just not going to get from Dolly. And I respect that. Yeah, totally. And I, I agree with you. Again, it's, it's, it's dual use. Uh, different people are trying to accomplish different things. I think, I think all I'm just saying from my platform, my platform is safety first. And I just want to make it clear for anybody pitching me, wants to partner me, work with me, wants me to promote their stuff. The way to my heart to be absolutely clear is safety. <laughs> if you're launching some kind of open AI competitor, you, you know, you want me to promote you, you want me to try your tool. You better be talking about safety for 30 minutes straight <laughs> before you tell me about anything else, because I like it. I prefer safe tools that, you know, uh, at least especially com especially companies trying to be safe. And, and I, I love hearing what they're doing, what are they baking in and, and stuff like that. But that's that's me. That's that's my preference. Um, uh, anyway, so the the web browsing, uh, going back to that, if if chat GPT can do it, I guess all I'm saying is um it's, it, I think the main benefit of it may perhaps be, uh, current information, right? To, to be able to look stuff up and understand what, what happened. Mm -hmm. But I also think maybe there is a way where it helps with misinformation or hallucinating information, like all these other problems where maybe it can look up stuff and determine if it's making something up. And I don't know at a technical level if that's even possible, but I just think that that might be another benefit and maybe the direction where uh, it's heading. Um, you, you mentioned formatting. Um, I love the formatting in, in chat GPT, right? Like I, I think like uh, getting like a nice numbered list, a code block, you know, like it's like, uh, it, it's, 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 uh, it, it can make a table, <laughs> you know, like all these things are just nice. And these are things we didn't have in 2020 up until earlier this year. And now like, it's like, man, I wish we had that all along. Cause it's just visually just so nice to, to use. And it's one of the, it's one of the simple things. Like so many products have markdown support. And it's a simple thing that has a tremendous amount of impact. I'm sure a lot of work went into it. The direction, though, going back to the original question of where where we think ChatGPT is going, I think it's heading towards like an everything, everywhere encyclopedia. Like I think ChatGPT may well become like any question you ask it, it might become like Wikipedia. Like you'll have a Wikipedia article like answer with citations. It's got you know different formatting and stuff. And now there's risks. Like clearly the OpenAI CEO said, you know, you shouldn't trust it and all these other things. But I think the formatting is a pretty big giveaway on where this could be going. And obviously, I don't think they could ever call it an encyclopedia. I think something more casual like an assistant uh, is maybe better. But to me, it sometimes it feels like an encyclopedia, like that level of cohesiveness and simplicity, summarization, just as a knowledge tool. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're not using it, and I know the education use case is a hot button topic because of, uh, you know, uh, potential cheating and, and everything else. But I think that's a very binary way to look at it. And I think we need to evolve how we teach, how we measure um, uh, knowledge assessments, how we think about assessment, um, how we think about knowledge checks and retention of, of information and whether or not ChatGPT is helping that, right? It might not jive with your current format, 
But if it isn't all knowing encyclopedia, you can't really prevent a kid from using it um, for that purpose as they're studying or as they get ready for a test. They might not be allowed to bring the calculator into the exam, uh, the same with ChatGPT, but um, it is going to find very unique ways. The same way that I knew I learned a very specific way. Talk to me straight. Talk to me like it's slang. Talk to me in metaphors and analogies, and I'll understand anything and even quantum entanglement. Um, so that, that's a huge benefit for education across the board for everyone to use it in that way. But we, we just have to revisit like what's more important, um, that this kid wrote this essay with no support or they understand the concepts within the essay. You know, that, that, that's a juncture that we're still going to struggle with. I actually have to do a, um, panel with like an NYU professor, like a debate on ChatGPT in a couple of weeks. So that's going to be interesting because um, college professors are having a whole lot of fun with ChatGPT right now. I don't envy them at all, um, but it's disrupting a lot of spaces and we just, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of adjustments next year. Yeah. And this is also one of those things. I had an article last year in 2021. It was my big prediction that GPT-3 is going to take over schools and campuses. <laughs> I said high school and above. And it, it turned out, you know, I was saying it. Nobody else called it. Nobody else was saying it. It turned out this this has actually happened now. And this is the so moment. I'm really, this is the moment. It's it's definitely a turning point. It's exciting to see one of my predictions so early on pan out. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll call this one uh, a nice three <laughs> three pointer. Um, but uh, do you do you have any advice? Like you know, you used to you used to be a teacher, and also as a parent, uh, could could you speak or what's what advice would you give? to teachers about ChatGPT and what it means? And also, how do you incorporate Dolly, Codex, ChatGPT in, into your role as a parent? Oh, that's that's a good one. Um, we've definitely generated some interesting um, AI outputs from not only Dolly, but a, a couple different systems. And they've they've tinkered with like, can you upload your own picture or not? That That feature. And when they did, I was giving my daughters butterfly wings. I was putting them in pictures with dinosaurs and having them ride unicorns, like put, putting them in visual environments that they've never seen themselves in without having to be a Photoshop expert, right? Um, or an After Effects expert. And, and they love that. Um, so that from an artistic standpoint, there's a lot that you could do there. There's a lot that kids can do to feel proud in what their output is. I, as a middle school teacher, Kids struggle with confidence and it is, it is a, a sad situation where a lot of kids don't want to participate in, in the arts because they're just not confident in their output, um, from an artistic standpoint. Um, and I think my son even, you know, deals with that even on his own where like early on, he wasn't confident in his letters. He wasn't confident in the pictures that he was drawing, but he had this vision of what he wanted to get out of it. You put this machine in front of him now, and now the output will be exactly as how he envisioned it. Um, and I think going back to like education and for, for context, my master's was in education. My PhD was in education. Um, a lot of it has to do with um, learning how to learn, knowing how do you survive industry shifting by teaching yourself the best way that you know how to learn, being pivotal. You know, I used to say, you have to reinvent yourself every five years or upskill yourself every five years. Now it's like two and a half, three years, 
where like there's all these new tools and like, all right, well, what are you going to do? You're going to sit around and let other people master that tool or are you going to upskill yourself? Um, and I think as, a, as an educator, what's more important? Is it more important that they did the, the work or, and they did the work the old fashioned way or that they feel more comfortable with the concept and, and consuming that knowledge because it's being delivered in a way which at chat GPT that they can relate with, right? You could easily have kids right now say, all right, explain to me species, the, the, the biology of species in science with Pokemon. And that is exactly what I did with new school. Like I would create these lessons by hand or with a freelance team of educators. They were like, look, this kid doesn't get this concept. So use this as the crutch as the student centered learning, you know, activator to help them get to this concept. So we did like the, the economics of the sneaker game. We did like the, the parabolic arch of Steph Curry's three point shot, right? So now you don't need a team of educators writing these lessons from scratch. You can go to chat GBT and be like, look, I need to understand this science concept or this math concept, but just break it down in a way that I understand. I like X, Y, and Z. So if anything that you give me back has to be related in a way that I understand or that is important to me, that's huge for teachers. And they should embrace this tool for that opportunity and not look at it as like, they're just going to cheat, make a better test, make a more creative test, go to chat GPT and be like, make me a creative test that kids can't cheat on. You use it against them. Yeah. Uh, uh, these are all just amazing points. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it, it could be incorporated in the classroom. It could maybe, uh, you know, aid the teacher in the lessons as well. Like, say the students still don't get it. it you know, the teacher punches it in to, to chat GPT in real time and you can get an idea. Like, essentially, like every student can get a personalized explanation um, in a way that benefits with them. And you can just keep going. Explain like I'm in high school. Explain like I'm in middle school. <laughs> explain like and you can ask follow up questions. You can be like, what am I missing here? Right. Like you can or ask you like, just stage point blank. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. It's like, all right, well, we'll, we'll try it this way. And you just keep what, saying, I still don't get it. And it'll try it another way. Right. That's and that's what we're what at we, now. You know, the more we talk it's about it, the more I'm like, damn, these guys got it. Like these guys nailed it with chat GPT. Like the, 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 the potential is we still have, we still haven't seen the full potential, but just the things that we're spitballing here is like, man, I wish I was a student right now. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And of course, like I, I probably should have said, congratulations to the team and Open AI. This is a huge achievement. Uh, it's incredible. I, but I, I thought it was, it's kind of a given <laughs> that this yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. this is like a slam dunk. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think maybe some of the, some of the hesitations I have with chat GPT and education is especially, I think as a, as a learning tool while you're learning incredible in the classroom resource, incredible. I think it, it is actually a very good teaching tool on thinking critically and adversarially because you can't trust everything it says, right? So it's a good exercise for students on not everything that an AI says is actually true. And so here's how you can validate and cross reference and, and see for yourself, uh, what and find some truth there. Uh, I think it's mainly on the writing side. So I think the, the learning, reading, explaining that it's valuable. It's the writing side. And sometimes I, I'm starting to feel really bad for a lot of these teachers. There's probably a, a fair amount of English teachers who are reading essays, which were written by an AI. It may not even be chat GPT. I, I could say just broadly, some kind of language model. And I think maybe there's some hesitation and something problematic about that. Right. And, you know, like, uh, the 
these tools have been around for a while. So like I mentioned in my article, there's a tool called Quillbot, uh, an AI writer, which these kids were using even before GPT-3, like people found out about it or they got access. And uh, a lot of them will help you reword it. So you can just pass the plagiarist plagiarism checker even if it's not writing it it can help you reword move some words around and and stuff like that and so i think i think that part like i'm a little bit hesitant and i you know i i in my article i mentioned maybe there's fundamental questions in education that that need to be addressed right so i i argued that maybe it's not about writing the format of the essay it's about writing the best essay with the best story something that could even win an award Right. Maybe that's what we want to emphasize more in school rather than the format, because now we know that uh, AI can can do at least some of that work. Well, the world that they're going into is going to be, hey, newsflash, folks that are working nine to fives where you're teaching them the skill set to get that important job are using chat GPT to write their reports at their job. So. This might be that one of those junctures where like we might still be trying to teach to an old skill set instead of just evolving with the skill set because they're going to be using ChatGPT to write for them at work. And they already are. I mean, I've I've used it and I know plenty of people that are like, I got to write this press release. No, I'm not. ChatGPT is going to write it. Right. But from a plagiarism standpoint, I'm sure if it's not already a model or a SaaS tool or something that's already baked into ChatGPT, you upload that student's or copy and paste that student's essay and you say exactly to ChatGPT, in your best estimation, tell me if you feel like this essay was plagiarized with just some slight rephrasing, right? And then let ChatGPT give you an output and see what it comes out with. It might say, for the most part, uh, this is plagiarism minus a few sentence starters and an original paragraph. So you might use the cheating against itself and with the same technology, uh, which I definitely think if it's not a tool should be. Um, and I think some people even, you know, you're going to see at the policy level, folks are going to try and find signatures in AI outputted media comp content copy. That's also a rat race because as soon as you put something out that can track outputs from 3.5, four is going to come out and then you need to come out with a tool that tracks four outputs and then 4.5 comes out. So every time you try and come out with something that can see if there's a watermark or a signature, and if this was created by AI, a more sophisticated AI engine is going to come out and then you're, you're back starting from scratch. Yeah. And it's, 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 there's that problem. I think it's, you know, what's best for the student, what's best, what makes sense for the future. I think different schools will have different policies. So some schools may be our essays are in person only now. Pencil mm -hmm. and paper, baby. <laughs> like we are back in the past. We're pioneer yeah. ages. Uh, other schools may, may embrace it and they'll be like, look, like, you know, um, you know, we might have an in person test just to make sure you know the format. After that, we want you to come up with an essay that really is based on a personal story of you. And it's more about you and your story and what you learned throughout your life. You know, you could be a refugee, something like that, right? That might be another approach where it's, you know, we take advantage of these tools and we push for like high levels of quality, high levels of storytelling, much higher than we used to, right? Or maybe everybody is guaranteed at least a 70 with ChatGPT, right? Um, there's gonna be different approaches. Uh, there may be regulatory approaches. We're not sure. And 
this is one of those things I, I sort of tweeted about it at some a few months ago, but I would like to hear from OpenAI about the policies around education. What's the plan here? What's the plan? Uh, legal and policy team. How do you guys think about it? Do you have any advice for educators? What are you actively doing around this issue? Um, and, you know, like what what is the role between company and school board and government here? Right. And what makes sense for the future? And how can you maybe there's a role where OpenAI can help schools prepare for the future because well, they're so well, what's preventing you from making an essay in copy AI or in Jasper? Like even if it doesn't come from chat GPT, there's other AI tools out there in the market that can copyright something from you for you from concept, you know, or from a topic. And I think we need to hone in on, you know, I would love to speak with, you know, you know, I will be a, a professor in a couple of weeks of like, what are you actually gaining from writing that essay? What, what knowledge or what skill is being gained from the, is it just to transfer the idea conveyed through an essay or is it being able to, to craft my ideas and put my ideas together in a, in a cohesive thought? Like what are the things that might be lost or sacrificed with, with AI and if it's worth it? Because they thought sacrificing cursive was worth it. They thought sacrificing woodshop in school uh, was worth it. And um, there's a lot of people now that miss those woodshop skills, right? Was that the right decision? So as we evolve, whether it's AI or not, there's going to be an evolution of skills that we need for society and some uh, rigid um, you know, K-12 skills or, or higher ed skills might not make it into the next, into the next rotation, you know, into the next set of skills that we may, might need for society. But we've seen this, I mean, when my PhD, I've been talking about this since like 2010, when you think about the books that like Daniel Pink wrote and, and um, there's so many people that were, you know, the 21st century skills, you know, the, 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 the four C's they call it. Um, so they were like, anything beyond the four C's is likely going to be automated. If this, if you're doing a job that's like, if then, you got to get away from it because it's going to get automated soon. So make sure that you're focusing on the four C's and then schools got hit to that. And they're like, all right, we have to add the four C's and the four C's are communication, critical thinking, collaboration, and creativity. Um, and let's focus on that instead of the outputs because the outputs, either they're going to be automated at the job level, or there's going to be a tool that's going to automate at the student level. And here we are. Yeah, no, I, the parallels to cursive, even calculators might have been controversial at one point. All these things we, we take for granted. Computers, like every every new technology requires new school board policy. Phones required a whole, it was a whole new can of worms for the school boards. Mm -hmm. um, I just think, you know, AI is sort of in a class of its own. I think it's it's quite, quite revolutionary, probably disproportionately so. And I'm, I'm not blaming OpenAI. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think they're responsible. Like, there's probably others, you know, it's in some sense, it's inevitable. Uh, I just think some guidance here is needed because in the meantime, all these schools have these students, right, who may not be getting good quality outcomes and they may be getting into universities having perhaps never learned to skill and maybe the university's not ready. So in the meantime, while there's all these students that you're responsible for, <laughs> I think there needs to be some leadership here from someone, right? Uh, that is both industry as well as uh, on, the, on the school board side. And a lot of teachers may not be even aware, you know, on what to even look for if something is AI generated, like something. And it gets complicated because when I wrote my article last year predicting that schools will see this influx, um, 
And I wrote and at the time, I think I wrote it. It was, it's exciting because I, I think, you know, we may get a real revolutionized education system and it may be student led, right? Yeah. Where the students will say, what's the point? You're wasting our time. Teach us something that's actually valuable. Um, but at the time when I looked it up, it gets complicated because at the time I think OpenAI's policy was 18 plus that you weren't even supposed to be using GPT-3. And so in that way, at least it's hopefully like university and above, maybe, maybe like grade 12 high school. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it's it's really complicated, and I, I guess we'll see, right? Um, who's who's gonna step up here, or who's gonna put out anything, any any kind of help? I don't know if teachers are uh, like very very gravely concerned, or if there's some teachers that are very excited about it. Part of the thing is I've been out of school so long, so I I both don't know the student perspective and I don't know the teacher perspective, right? Yeah. I, some teachers could be like, I don't care at all, and this is great. <laughs> Right. Like I didn't, you know what I mean? Other teachers could be like, you know, especially for English, like, you know, uh, maybe they feel like something is lost here. That is essential. Right. But it might bring back, it might bring back this art form, which what we're doing right now is public speaking and being able to articulate ideas instead of relying on, on writing them. Because if you can get the output of the writing done instantly in three seconds, you still need to convey that idea. And I'm sure professors and teachers don't mind not having to read, you know, dozens of essays poorly written every week to sit there with the red pen, because that is also traumatic. The red, the red lining of, of all these, you know, papers for students. So now we might go back to rhetoric. We might go back to being, you know, an orator and, and speaking to your idea because most of these kids, my seven year old son is aspiring to be a YouTuber. Most folks want to be you, Bax. I don't know if you know this, but kids nowadays, they don't want to live your life. And they want to get to a point where they can speak, speak fluently, share ideas, you know, be confident, be, you know, charismatic on camera about heavy, heavy topics. And the teacher might have to flip the script on the assignment and be like, okay, mess around with ChatGPT all you want. You're not writing an essay for me. You're going to stand in front of class and give a half hour verbal presentation. No slides because there's AIs that produce slides. No presentations, no infographics, just you and your ideas in front of the class. So how about that? <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a great, gonna be tripped great up. point. Yeah, I, I, I think like it's, you know, this could be the, you know, the straw that makes that completely reforms education as we know it. Completely different classrooms, completely different goals. They might get rid of grades. <laughs> like who knows how far but this discussion goes. That's how education started was to speak to one another. You know what I mean? Mm, was was the, the griots of Africa and, and everything else of like, mm. well, I'm going to share a history verbally and then you're going to pass that down. You know what I mean? And the more you I tell see. it, the more it becomes ingrained in you. Yeah, yeah. That, that is, I, I didn't know that. That's super interesting. Um, I I think it's it's going to require some kind of model level change to the whole system, um, and I think we'll see some experimentation next year. I think different school boards will try different things. Uh, anyways, so thank you for sharing your your thoughts as as uh, both a, a teacher as well as uh, a parent. Uh, that's super awesome. Um, this is going to be a little bit more inside baseball. Um, so Peter Wander, who's the VP of uh, Product and Partnerships at OpenAI. Uh, he put out an interesting tweet uh, this week where he said, uh, you know, it's like the end of prompt engineering, say hello to dialogue engineering. 
or something like that. And like you responded, I retweeted and, um, I, I think we know roughly where, where you stand on, on the whole thing, but, and they're not mutually exclusive either, right? Like, I think it's, it's still both in a way, but w- what is dialogue engineering about? Like, did you want to explain that to me? What, what, what do you think? <laughs> so I think, uh, there is going to be a unique style of prompting with chat GPT. Um, even though it's fully baked and kind of closed and automatic, right? Like I'm sure the analogy here is like, I'm sure that there's drivers out there that know how to drift with an automatic car. The same way that I'm sure that there's people that, that drift with the car that's manual, um, and know how to work it, even though that there's less settings, right? There's less gears to mess with. There's less features, but can still get the best output. And the, the, what they are making available to you is communicating to the system. Now, a lot of folks didn't like, especially the, the engineering community didn't like communicating to GPT-3. They were, like I said before, they were looking for the commands. They were like, all right, I just want to write this half a sentence command. That's not even a sentence. It's like produce output. And I'm like, where's your prompt? And they're like, that, that's it. It says produce output. I'm like, how are you telling it what to do? And they're like, I'm not. And I'm like, let's start from the beginning. In the beginning, and this is what I was telling Peter, I was like, in all my office hour sessions, I would say, all right, tell the machine what you wanted to do for the first three sentences. Go. And they're like, um, okay. They didn't have the communication skills to just say to the machine, I want you to do this. Today, we're going to do this. Thank you for working with me. Like, just be polite. We got to work with these machines. You don't want the matrix to happen. So be polite. Um, so chat GPT is, is for not forced, but basically forced dialogue with the machine where you just got to tell it there, there there are no commands there's no instructs there's no coding you know structure just talk to the machine tell it exactly what you want it to do and some folks are going to get real savvy and some of the jailbreaks you're starting to see the inklings of of getting really savvy with this current setup but there might be the next abe that's like younger than me and says so like look I don't need the playground at all because I can get chat gpt to do everything I want with straight dialogue. And I'm learning that skill set. I'm when any, anytime I mess around with it, I'm like, how far can I take this in my own mockups and my own demos before I feel like I need to go into the settings in, in GPT three. And, but you're going to get masters of both crafts. Um, but again, one is built on the other. It's like learning martial arts. Like someone might learn a new modern martial arts with, um, with Bruce Lee, like Bruce Lee's art form, was like an amalgamation of his ideas and creativity that no one else practiced before him, but it borrowed and had influences from other things. They're, they're all cousins, right? Like chat GPT is a cousin of, of GPT three. And that's why Dolly and Codex are so good is because they borrow from their cousin models where like I was writing in Codex, I was prompting, write me for education, a multiple choice test quiz, right? It created the format, as you said, with with buttons that were for the multiple choice that were able to be populated and clicked. But the content of each of those questions, I was like, how does Codex know what content to put for a science question? It borrowed it from GPT-3, right? Codex, even though it was a coding generator, was getting the context of the communication from GPT-3. The same thing with Dolly. And now with Homeboy, uh, chat GPT, you're going to see it borrow from all, you're going to see it generate code. Because it's borrowing from its its homie across the street codex, you're gonna see it produce long form, 
um, like you would in GPT-3. And then I'm sure the understanding, if not the image directly, the understanding of what prompt you need to set for Dolly to get the perfect image of what you're describing in chat GPT. So they're all going to be related, but they're going to be some savvy people that just don't leave chat GPT at all. But what do you, what do you think is the, the essence of dialogue engineering? Like, like what is the difference between dialogue engineering and prompt engineering is dialogue engineering even a thing? Like I haven't heard anybody even really use the word dialogue engineering. It could be my own visibility. I heard, I did hear back in the day, people talking about dialogue engineering, perhaps with something like Alexa, right? Like those kinds of systems, right? The voice assistants. But what do you, what do you think is the, the essence of dialogue engineering and how is it different from prompt engineering? I think it's probably the cousin of instruct where like you really have to explain yourself. You really have to be articulate and you're starting to see that even get out of hand with like mid journey and with Dolly, more so mid journey where like people are going overboard with describing the exact detail of what they want in the picture. They'll write a paragraph of this, um, this shutter speed, this backdrop in the style of this photographer, um, cinematic, and it'll be a, a paragraph this big of like all these details of what they want captured in the picture. Um, but I think with dialogue engineering, it's going to be more constructive. So you're going to have to like, all right, you describe this, this branch. Now describe how this complementary branch builds on this and they work cohesively together. But doing that in natural language is going to be hard for a lot of people. And newsflash, it's going to be hard for a lot of engineers that are making six figures, seven figures, because they're so used to the coding language that they've given up maybe honing in their natural language. And a lot of these machines rely on natural language, even though mm, I'm not a coder. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who are programmers. They're like, no, it does just fine when I speak to it in code. And, and it's giving me exactly what I want when I speak to it in code. But you're going to find it's probably going to be a hybrid of like speaking to the layout, speaking to the wireframe, speaking, speaking to the infrastructure. And, you know, I'm also bullshitting here because I don't know, I'm not fully trained at all in like coding to know what the previous history was of dialogue engineering. I only know how that is relevant to GPT-3 in the playground, instructs, and also what I'm seeing now of people getting really savvy with it, with like, as you said, like a paragraph more, even more so in describing exactly what they wanted to do and then following it up with the next step and the next step and the next step to build on each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, where I agree with you is like, I think uh prompt design is about imagination, you know? And like, I think last year I had a whole article where I found like, I basically argued like coding sort of restricts your imagination. And for all these different reasons, it makes you more like a computer. And so perhaps maybe the best prompt designers uh, come from maybe creative writing or, or these other kinds of disciplines where, uh, you know, their their imagination is is still quite strong. Um, I, I, I all I can sort of assume if I was to explain the difference between prompt engineering and what what we, what we could be calling from now on dialogue engineering, I think prompt engineering was basically about is basically about uh, like writing something that is exemplary, having the right examples so that you continue to get the results within a certain window that you want, right? So that was maybe what, what prompt engineering was, like sort of fooling the AI to do what you want, being clever, using imagination, all these things, getting it to play a character. 
And maybe, maybe dialogue engineering is, you're right, like maybe built off of prompt engineering, but maybe over time. It's on a longer time horizon, and there may be something about it where you sort of say one thing, you say the other, and then you hit it with a sucker punch, right? And that sucker punch may be dialogue engineering. It's sort of left field out of nowhere, but it gets you what you want, right? Um, but again, like it's so new, it's so emerging, and I'm still looking for examples about it. Um, and in many ways, sometimes I feel chat GPT because it's, uh, uh, you know, this threaded conversation. Uh, I don't quite think the comparisons, it's hard to like compare it to some conversations to others. It's hard to like, um, it, it's just, it's not as much like GPT three where you just have, here's the prompt, here's the outputs. And it kind of works for everybody. I think different people really do have different experiences with chat GPT because there's just so many other ways this conversation could go. But, and people were also trying to be minimal, which, you know, I, I understand, but I never fully understood with, with GPT-3, where they would ask, like, I just want to do the prompt, what they call single shot, right? Like just one command and then that's it. But if you, I never really shared what like the back end of Clara looks like. Um, it's a, it's all, every 4,000 of her tokens is like a stream of consciousness. And it's like a dialogue with her over years between myself and other, you know, folks from from schools and the community that had a chance to speak with her. And it's just a flow. It's a dialogue flow between us and her that we've preserved over years. And everyone else that I have had office hours with, which had with uh, GPT-3 are trying to do the opposite. They're trying to do everything in one, one command. Um, so there isn't an opportunity for a dialogue, oh, wow. right? What you're talking mm -hmm. about is like an ever evolving, like, we're just going to keep going with this thread. And what it looks like six months from now is not going to be what it was day one, right? Because it's going to be hmm. iterating on yeah. the outputs and my inputs are going to change based on your outputs. And we're just going to be feeding off of each other for like eternity, you know, depending on, on whatever you're trying to build with it. I see what you're saying. So it's like an evolution. It's like a long-term evolution yeah. and your system gets smarter over time. Yeah. That is like, exactly what Clara is at this point, which is why like hmm. I when people are like, oh well there's other AI bots, I'm like not like Clara because those bots didn't have these conversations with Clara over these last two years with those specific people in getting those specific outputs. So her answers and her ideas are gonna be her own based on the evolving dialogue that she's had over, you know, the last three years. I see. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so let's switch gears and then I think we should be good to wrap up. Uh, so we, we talked about music and your background there. Um, what, uh, what are the, some of the broader parallels you've noticed with upcoming music stuff and, and just the whole GPT three, all the way to Dolly and chat GPT, the different communities and, and the world, what, what are some of the parallel similarities? So the, the juncture point, so I, I mentioned before that we kind of deserve this like FOMO moment, this anxiety that we're getting of like everyone is, is jumping into our room, but that's exactly how artists feel right now with AI art, right? So like we're getting a taste of our own medicine because we're over here, like our AI room is crowded and artists and AI art, I mean, right, traditional artists are like, who are all these AI guys in, in my room and in my space? That's a great point. And, you know, it is a juncture point that we all have to be okay with. Well, we all have to adapt to in some kind of way. We don't have to be okay with it. You don't have to be okay with nothing. But I saw this live when this happened with 
um, DJs and Serato. Like I was carrying crates for Phone Master Flex and Cypher Sounds and these guys. And there was a point where folks were like, oh, you ain't going to just bring a laptop? Nah, man, I'm a, I'm a purist. I'm doing straight vinyl at this club. After a while, then that vinyl gets heavy. You know, and like, and if you're just doing a wedding, is it really worth bringing 15 crates of vinyl to the club, you know, for like a, for like a live spin that you're going to dip out afterwards? Um, so they started to pick and choose when they wanted to bring a laptop instead of the whole, you know, the whole crate set of the original vinyl. And more and more, they started to rely on the technology. And nowadays, no one brings vinyl anywhere. All right. Unless they're doing it on purpose to be a traditionalist and a purist. And I still know vinyl DJs that still have Serato and they all kind of make it work together. Right. And even prior to that, go back 30 years before Serato, we had this with sampling in hip hop where the traditional blues and jazz artists from the 60s and 70s and 80s, they're like, who are these knuckleheads from the hood taking pieces of my music? And and back then it wasn't even like discreet. It was like they're just taking the whole song and rapping over it. And I can't even, I can't even understand what they say. And there was a juncture there where like my mom even yelled at me. She was like, turn that ish off because it's just a redo of my favorite song. And, you know, I grew up in that moment of like, I'm appreciating the new version that incorporates this new enabling technology that the classic heads and the OGs just don't appreciate. So basically my, my, my warning is like, you know, we can easily fall into like OG syndrome, which is fine. Like if you want to be a purist, Hold on to that for as long as you can, but don't hide if you feel like I can use both, right? There was an argument online around Rogan's post of AI art around Alex Gray and people were heated. Artists were heated. They were like, F Rogan, you know, he's promoting this work. Alex Gray's not even going to get any royalties off of this work if people start selling this like AI interpretive work, which is probably true, but what happens if AI, if Alex Gray turns around and starts making AI art, right? Like you're, you're over here making this point for someone who hasn't even made a decision for themselves if they want to use AI art in their repertoire or not and add it right next to their, their palette and their paintbrush. I was talking, one of our potential clients was a huge estate in Mobile, Alabama of a billion dollar estate of a, of a famous black artist that we were showing them how we can because he's no longer with us, make extensions of his art with AI, right? It'll, but sanctioned by the family and by the estate, right? In a way that honored his original work, but created new work based off of that. So there, there, there is room for that. There is room for new folks that don't know how to pick up a paintbrush that are just so nice with it when it comes to AI art tools. Um, and there are probably some amazing script writers and there are probably some amazing people with the pen when it comes to writing that are probably being stylized into chat GPT where someone's like, I want an essay written in the style of this person. I want a Ted talk written, you know, performed in the style of this, you know, Ted talk in Ted speaker. And that's going to happen. But you know, there, there was a juncture point just like this many times. And not to even, you know, I'm probably going to piss off some of my hip hop heads, but there, we didn't voluntarily offer royalties to the artists that we were sampling. Like it came to the publishing houses to come to us and be like, yo, the song is great. It's, it's charting. 
you got to give them a piece, right? And their lawyers are going to come after you and we're going to have split sheets. And every time the song is performed, they're going to get a cut. Every time the song is played on the radio, they're going to get a cut. If you want a smaller cut, you got to replay that piece and not take the actual recording because now the label gets a cut. So if you don't want the label to get a cut, you got to do something that's, you know, interpolative or, you know, compulsory. Um, but we didn't volunteer that money over, you know, people were trying to do the opposite. They were making these sample cuts. They were like this small and unrecognizable to get around those publishing houses of identifying where the sample came from. And now everything's digitized. So then there that went, you know what I mean? But I think you're also asking a lot of creatives to like offer a lot of safety restrictions where they're just trying to be creative. That's not their job. Let, let the policies be made by policymakers. Let the creators create. Absolutely. And there's definitely some element of rule breaking. There's mm -hmm. some element of pushing everything forward. There's an element of growth. And if we don't grow in these moments, uh, we, we, we just wouldn't have what we have today. Like we have a whole genre, which everybody loves. And it's like, you know, uh, people grew up on it, swear by it. Uh, 100%. I agree with you. Very quickly, did you have any advice? So Stability AI has announced that they will be releasing a, a music generation model next year. Uh, obviously, neither of us can comment if OpenAI has any plans of, of something of that sort. In the past, they've made Jukebox, which is a much, much older model uh, that generates music. But imagine something which, you know, lets you like write a song with AI. Maybe you give it a prompt. Now, I don't know how these tools are going to work, like whether they'll be you write text and it generates a song. I, I think the music models will be more nuanced than that. But uh, do you have any advice for next year about any aspiring music makers, anybody who maybe is into this stuff and knows they're going to want to try that stuff, too? You, you have every right to be upset by it. You have every right to, to pick and choose the things that, that trigger you because for everyone, it's going to be different. For the artist right now, it's the AI generated art. They probably don't care as much about the AI generated copy. I, there was this, you know, the, this AI artist that was really upset and I looked up their bio and they were a digital sculptor. And I'm like, well, you're not a real chiseler with real sculpting anymore. You know what I mean? So like you're using algorithms to make your current work. Um, so there is digital, everyone is going to be okay with a certain digital integration and everyone's going to be upset by a certain digital integration. For me personally, I, I think music might trigger me in some ways by the folks that I hold to a very high standard. So for instance, if, if I go out there, who knows? I could make a, a, a make your own rap verse AI tool that everyone could just mess around with tomorrow. Because I probably already have the prompts for it. And I release it tomorrow. It's for everyone to have fun with. Because there's a lot of kids that just want to come up with raps. That they want to hear songs that were never made. Which is part of why I love AI art so much. Is because you can then make songs that you've always wanted. That just the collab never happened. These two artists never got into the studio. This artist died before their time. Never got to collaborate with this producer. So now you can go and put those prompts in. And make that AI music that you always wanted to hear for yourself. Now, if Kendrick Lamar turns around and starts making AI generated music, I'm going to have a problem because there's a certain council of leaders in the space that I'm only a fan because you're a purist and you don't have ghostwriters. Mm. So for those who have a ghostwriter, your music is great for the club, it's great for the girls, but you're not going to be on my top five list, right? So I'm going to hold people on that top five list. The same with DJs. I love people who spend for weddings and, and clubs and make their money off of Serato, 
you're not going to be on the same list as the folks that do the DMC competitions every year that are beat jugglers and turntablists. That's a completely different craft. And as a break dancer, sidebar, I used to be a B-boy. Um, you're always a B-boy for life. Shout out to Rocksteady and Full Circle. Um, for those who do head spins for a wedding or head spins for a commercial does not make you a B-boy. A B-boy understands the technique and the craft and everything else that comes along with it in the culture. But because you've mastered a head spin from your Taekwondo class doesn't make you the same level of uh, artist as someone who's mastered the craft. So I'm not putting myself on the same pedestal as Basquiat. I love Basquiat, but am I making some dope shit? Absolutely. And am I going to find an audience for my dope stuff? You betcha. But I'm not going to say I'm just as good as Basquiat. It's two different lanes. So I'm excited for AI music. I think they're going to get the same knock on the door. I want to say same, but they're going to get a knock on the door from the RIAA or whoever the, you know, the head honchos are at, at, behind all the labels and the music rights and be like, so you're going to try and take what data, what music data to feed it to what AI and you need billions of our songs to do this? Yeah, that's not going to happen. They're going to be like, they're going to politely be like, don't do that. Don't do that. And they have that power. No one's kind of pulled that. There's no like cohesive body representing art that way. There's no cohesive body representing text that way. But there is with music. It's represented by like five or six labels at the top that can say, mm, yeah, you know, you're not using our data that way. Yeah, they can lobby as well. Right. Um, I 100% agree with you on, on that. Um, I, I, I think it will be exciting. Uh, in my view, I, I'm excited. I don't quite know if music will be as big as Dolly or Midjourney. I think music people are a lot more selective. You can't just scroll a feed and like like browse songs <laughs> like in the way we we consume images. But I you know, I think it will change the game forever. I, in fact, like I I think it's sort of the next evolution after sampling, right? Like it's Oh, but uh, think about like make a Biggie Nipsey collab on a Jay Dilla beat. Could you imagine right. if you're typing that in? Uh, that'd be incredible. It'd be exciting for everyone. And a lot of a lot of the big people in Hollywood have started using the AI art tools, at least tried them, right? Like the word gets out pretty quickly. I, I guess I guess the, the, the original question was like more on the preparation side. So say you are right now, uh, you maybe have used GPT-3, you're definitely using Dolly or Midjourney or any of the image generators, Stable Diffusion. Um, and you want to get ready for next year because Baxter Future says music is coming next year. <laughs> That's his prediction. Uh, how do you get ready for, for the music model? My, my answer stays the same because you have to, you know, shout out to Spacecraft, who's an amazing artist that, that I know out there where like he's doing some amazing stuff with AI art that I would say from an experimental standpoint, just to understand it. And every artist should be doing that. But he he's doing it to to prepare himself of like how do i feel about this you know what i mean and like you're gonna if i go out there and make a bunch of music with ai and everyone comes after me i have to be ready to to establish how i feel about it and go out there for my own purposes on social media or, or, or panels like this and platforms like this and be like you know what i'm okay with it because there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna generate stuff and people are gonna look at it like unethically and they're like, I didn't intend on any of that. I was just making stuff with AI. But think about now, like, what are the ethics around music with AI? What about 
you know, are you comfortable producing certain things, but not other things? Does it rub you the wrong way? Like is, is music crossing the line for you? And then think, get your ideas down now of like what you could potentially prompt um, and what you'd like to create and then hit the ground running once it comes out to start experimenting with it. But then if you feel like, no, I'm going to be a music AI artist, like that's just going to be my jam. Then you got to come ready with a script like this of like, I know how to defend it against the culture. I know how to speak to it and how it's complementary to the real music artists out there or traditional music artists. And I'm going to, I'm going to live here. And I think, I guess I kind of have made that for myself at this point with GPT-3 and, and AI art of like, I'm, I'm here. I, I'm, I'm supporting of it. And I've established why I feel like it's okay to coexist with traditional forms. And I'm confident in my ability to navigate that space of where I feel like is inappropriate and what I feel like is okay. And I'm a big boy. I can handle the criticism. Sure. Yeah. Um, this all great pointers. I would, I would just add like, you know, GPT-3 teaches you a lot. Dolly teaches you a lot. Uh, learn prompt design, like try to, try to work on your fundamentals. Uh, and that's sort of how you could prepare for music. I would maybe study chords. I would study a lot of the terminology like harmony, um, melody. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you want to know those things. I would want to know the basic structure of music, whether it's the, the time signatures, bars, phrasing, um, and more importantly, I think all this stuff, whether it's Dolly or, or, uh, some music models, film stuff in the future, I think it helps to do some soul searching. What story do you want to tell? What makes you unique? You know, in what ways has your life been challenging, traumatic, exciting? Um, uh, and you know, how do you want to share that emotion and that story with the world? And the larger thing is all of these tools will, allow you to tell that story uh, definitely by the end of the decade, right? You, you will have these resources. You'll be able to spin up a movie and, you know, the poster will be exactly, you'll be able to control exactly how you want that poster to look. You'll be able to control every scene in that movie um, and speak to people. And then you can make the soundtrack perfect, right? So try to try to just think deeply about what great story you, you want to tell. And definitely just like with Dolly, it, it was helpful to have some, a little bit of art history to know these kinds of things, to know the terminology. I would definitely say for the music stuff next year, it, it doesn't hurt. And I'm personally very excited to uh, hear various people in the AI community, drop some music, drop some mixtapes, drop, drop the raps. We might even have some diss tracks next year. It's going to be so cringy. <laughs> But also exciting. I've gotten right? some bars like, out of Chat GPT. I definitely have. You got some bars. I have some Chat GPT bars. Yeah. Uh, that that That's I put amazing. out there. It definitely has some bars for sure. They're yeah. not great. Yeah. They're not great. I'll work on it. But it's there. G G we didn't get much time to talk about it. GPT three rhymes now. This is something that just like great. is so crazy. It didn't used to do that. It yeah. can rhyme. It can actually rhyme now. And actually, I want to give a shout out to to Vova. This is somebody who I've seen on Twitter just. He's been playing with Jukebox. He's been playing with it for months now. Every good prompt designer I know has been playing with the music stuff and getting ready. They have stuff in the pocket ready to go. Um, when I was soul searching, I, I did think about some stuff that I would think about that I would maybe make some music about. I, I definitely feel like I have feelings that I, I struggle to articulate. So I look forward to the music models that, that will hopefully, you know, give me the opportunity to articulate emotions, which obviously even in this podcast, you know, 
It's it's things that only music can convey. No matter how much time I spent explaining my emotions, you know, the music you would listen and you'd feel it. You'd know where I'm coming from. And so, anyways, that's just how I'm thinking about music models. I I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I understand we're over. I had three questions here. Uh, shout out to Jake, Dexter, and Brian. I think we'll quickly just do uh, two of them. I think some of these things we've already uh, covered. So, uh, uh, so Jake was wondering, you know, he's figuring out a rough estimate for the trajectory of AI advancement. Uh, what do you think people should be creating short term and in the midterm? Um, solve your life problems, solve the problems of the community around you, solve the problems of, of people that are in your life that are struggling with things and use them as, as use, as case studies for potential use cases of like, can I come up with something with straight up GP or chat GP to solve their problems? And this is not something that you have to scale out widely. This is something that if you just get a small cohort of people that are dealing with this problem, to make their life a little bit easier, do it, do it, do it now. Have that be your case study and be like, I, I produced a, a, a great experiment. Now, um, midterm slash long-term, you know, come up with a list of things that maybe are limited in that you want to do that cannot be achieved currently, just like Bax just said about rhyming, right? So rhyming was like an aspirational prompt that we wanted from GP that we've been waiting around for, for, for years. And we never said to ourselves, it's just never going to be able to do it. We knew like they'll have to figure some stuff out and eventually it might just pop up and, and then it did. Right. So there, there, there might be like a wish list of prompts that are limited in these current states, but these things build on themselves every six months to a year, as we've seen. And one of the things on your wish list might become a reality. That's, that's great advice. Um, I would I would just add like maybe at a technical level like if if you want to understand this stuff um, on a technical side I recommend you look up the OpenAI scaling law papers and so this this scaling law papers is sort of the the kernel of all the advances we see with with GPT three and all the different technologies so you need to understand the scaling laws that's what allows these new versions to be so much better and also read the Instruct GPT research paper as well that will help you understand how is OpenAI improving uh, even within the same version of GPT-3, how is how are, how is how are they making it better? Uh, and absolutely, a bronze advice about looking around you. I absolutely agree. I think the best prompt designers throughout their entire day, they'd be like, "I wonder if ChatGPT can do it. I wonder if GPT-3 can do it." And just by wondering and trying it, they discover all these use cases. They find all these ways to integrate it into their life. They get better at writing prompts. Uh, and then one other technical note as well. I recommend you check out, uh, Google put out a research paper about their model called Lambda, uh, which I think has even more parameters than GPT-3. Uh, in the research paper, they made this diagram of this like ballooning of activities. So as you scale up the model, the model gets become better. Like these balloons emerge where it gets better at things like translation, new ones appear. And so if you're interested to sort of plan somehow at like a medium long term, the research is there that should maybe give you some indication of the models as they improve medium term, uh, what, what sort of opportunities could potentially be there for you to capitalize on. Uh, so we have one question. Uh, so sorry, Dexter, I think we're going to skip Dexter's question because we already talked a little bit about the music industry. He wanted mm -hmm. to ask about Hollywood. I sort of touched upon 
uh, films and screenplay. I sort of touched upon movie making and stuff like that. We can perhaps revisit it this revisit this another time. Uh, real quick ethical question from Brian. He had a few, so I'll try to get this question in. Uh, he wants to know, what do you think about the ethical impact of image transformers and where that will go? In what ways do image transformers reflect problems in our culture? And can they offer any solutions? And of course, Abron already mentioned earlier that, you know, he, he doesn't speak for OpenAI. This is his personal opinion. Uh, so nobody wants him to get in any trouble. So go ahead, Abron. Um, I think uh, we have to we have to get past all the stuff that's already in there that might be fair use. Whether you agree with it or not, if it's in there in fair use, it's not for us to really to judge how it got in there because they they got the, the permission. Right. So, like, let's look at new stuff that could be fed to the system. Now, if you're reading, if you're looking at the fine print and, you know, these these models saying that, yes, whatever output you put in or whatever data you put in is going to be baked right into these models. And if you continue to agree to use that system, you are opting in. But I think there is an opportunity to create an economy around custom models or community based models. We're like, we're going to create our own model with our own data that we volunteer to it and get a kickback and get a royalty for how much, for when the model is monetized and how much of my data is in there. I understood this concept when I had new school and I was selling lesson plans, a library, a catalog of lesson plans to lesson plan marketplaces. And they would say, okay, well, if you give us your entire new school catalog and it ends up making up 20% of our lesson catalog on the marketplace, then whatever subscribers pay to that marketplace, you get 20%. You're 20% of the content, you get 20% of the revenue. Now, I think the music industry try to mess around with this. We're like, out the gate, they get they take their 50% and the other 50% is left to the, the content creators to split amongst themselves. And whatever the distribution is of how much data, how much content you have in that system is what you get back. Um, so then it incentivizes people to put more data into a system that they're earning money from. Um, that is a potential model. Um, but if there's stuff out there that you want to use, a lot of these AI gen apps, you know, you're going to click that. I agree to these terms and the terms are usually we're going to use the images that you output and just either not have it for fair use and for marketing. We're going to use it to bake back into the system. Yeah. Um, I, I think though the question was like, in, in what ways do the models reflect problems in our culture and what, what's the solutions there? So maybe this is a question about bias, right? Okay. Uh, and stuff like that. Um, look, whatever, the uh, is in, if, whatever the bias is in society, whatever the slices you take from society, that bias is going to live in the, in the, in the data set. So if you think about Wikipedia pages, everyone is using Wikipedia pages for their models. 87% of Wikipedia pages are made by white males. So whatever bias lives in Wikipedia pages is going to live in your data set if you don't look for it and you don't you look for for the equity uh, and how to address it in that data set. There's for for this I would defer to the body of research that's out there. Many people look at bias. Often bias is technically benchmarked as well for language models and and these things. It's nowhere near perfect or you know uh, at that scale yet where we can definitively say anything at all. And also these problems are, are really challenging and complicated. I'll quickly say, at least with Dolly, uh, what they do in order to address the bias issue is they, in certain prompts, they interject uh, different descriptions of diverse individuals. And so that way, you know, when you type in programmer, for example, you may get somebody who's who's not a white, Asian or, or brown male. 
Uh, that's what's going on at the Dolly level. Uh, Stability AI is uh, experimenting with this too. I, I think their their whole uh, ethos is, you know, that uh, people should have access to their model and spin up their own views on ethics, what they consider to be a diverse model. Uh, and, you know, different countries could maybe have their own models that they feel represents them and their culture. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a really big topic. That's, and that's the exact point though, is that if you continue to rely on other people to represent your culture, it's never going to be exactly how you want your culture to be represented. Go build your own stuff and then represent your culture in a way that is reflective of, of you and your community in the way that it should be. But if I, if you keep waiting on them to do it, it's, it's never going to be done in the right way unless you make a lot of noise and you're involved in the process. I, I'm I'm a little bit optimistic. I, I think there there are solutions that that do work for for most people and cultures and stuff, especially as these tools and communities get bigger. Uh, but yeah, I I don't want to spend too much too much time on it. Uh, I yeah, I, I would defer to, uh, you know, this whole ethics regulatory. This is a big topic, and mm-hmm. it's gonna go on. This is a long term. These are big questions, long term. Uh, and you know, we are gonna hear from. Uh, various experts as well, lawmakers, all these things going forward. Uh, anyway, so uh, thank you so much, Abra. You've been very generous with your time. Did you have any closing thoughts? Oh, we, I mean, we covered so much. I um, know, right? I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the space. Um, I do think that the other developers out there that have been in the space for a while do need a little bit of, um, you know, don't worry about it. You're, you, you still got an opportunity out there. Like, just be nimble. You know what I mean? And that, and I did ask OpenAI directly. I'm like, am I out of the job? Like, is just ChatGPT that good that you don't need the Abes and the Brams of the world anymore? They're like, everyone in the world of AI, everyone just has to be flexible and, and be nimble and, and learn on your feet and adapt. Um, so if you did have something that was kind of like just baked into ChatGPT, you know, think about other ways that you could do it differently. Think about other ways that you can attack the market and be creative, you know, Creativity is the number one source that'll help you get through all this space, whether you you know how to use it or not. Just stay creative, think left out the box. Um, and for the new folks that are don't, you know, there's less of the barrier of like, I don't know how this interface works with GPT-3. So a lot of people just walked away from that blank canvas. But now don't walk away from this canvas. No, just speak to it. Speak to it as you would anybody else. Watch a few sci-fi movies where there's AIs involved and talk to it the same way. Um, and you'll be surprised what you get out. I love that. Uh, my, my closing thought is not so much for the direct chat GPT users, more so the people who have been around for a while. Um, I think next year is going to be crazy. And I think every week we'll have something new. And one thing that was really interesting this year is um, it's like the same people as well as some new people coming into the fold, but they're all trying whatever is the latest and greatest, right? Everybody's trying instruct GPT. Dolly comes out. Everybody's talking about Dolly. Uh, Midjourney. People are talking about that. Midjourney version four came out two weeks ago. Everybody's talking about that. Stable Diffusion comes along. Everybody's talking about the ecosystem. Uh, my closing thought is I think next year, just there's this idea of mind share, just this idea that the audience as, as well as the world only has so much mental capacity for one thing <laughs> at a time. And so next year, we will just see a lot more competition for the attention of people into AI tools, as well as the world at large. 
uh, every week, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a new image model, video models coming in, music models coming in. And it's funny to see the same people. One week we're artists. <laughs> The week before that, we're poets, right? Next year, we may have a science model. I don't know. Next year, we might be scientists, right? And so I think the competitive dynamics are going to heat up. I think there will be more attention paid. There will be more outreach. There will be more competition for uh, people's time and attention. I think companies like OpenAI will have to start marketing. I think they'll have to engage better with the community. Uh, I'm on record for sort of suggesting OpenAI should engage more with me. I I feel quite left out in many ways, and I'm sure other people feel that way too. Uh, Next year, competition means you got to engage more. You got to reach that extra mile. And, you know, uh, everybody, this benefits the consumer at the end of the day, that there's going to be all these products and alternatives and all these companies will be vying for you to use their tool. Uh, but anyways, that's just the, the big thing that, that I'm thinking about, uh, for, for next year. And, uh, especially with the music and movies and all this stuff, it's, it's just going to be crazy. And let alone like even chat GPT, we mentioned some of these Easter eggs, <laughs> right? Um, you know, I, I didn't even get into one of, one other thing that I had, which was that I'm, I, I have this hunch that chat GPT has built in scratch cat, sc- scratch pad capabilities, but we're not even going to touch on that yet. And wow. that might be also crazy. So anyways, uh, anyways. Uh, we, we will call it, we will call it here. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Avron for, for joining us and being so generous with your time. We're, we're over. Um, and this is, of course, uh, fan favorite of the podcast, <laughs> uh, returning regular, uh, the, uh, the champ. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, always learn a lot. Um, and so for the first time listeners, I imagine a lot of you have never tuned in my podcast before. Multimodal by Backstreet Future is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everywhere. I have a newsletter, backstreetfuture.substack.com. And you can find me on Twitter at B-A-K-Z-T Future. And it's the same for Instagram. And you know what? You can go ahead and follow me on GitHub as well. I don't know why right. <laughs> you'd want to follow me, but I have the same handle everywhere. Um, I have some more coverage coming up. Uh, the big thing I'm thinking about is my predictions for next year. Uh, I'll also be reviewing some of my predictions from this year, uh, for, for this year as well. So that, that's where my mind's at. And then I'll probably upload a, a new video on matrix models, which I got to talk to you in the after show about abroad nice. if you have a few minutes. But anyways, that's it for today. Thanks so much, Ron. I really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. Always have me back. All right. Uh, Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in, and I will see you in the next one. Have a good day. Peace out. Bye.